To the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. You're ready to move up. What's your interest in it, Mr. Wayne? I want to borrow it for uh, spelunking. Spelunking? Yeah, you know, cave diving. You're expecting to run into much gunfire in these caves? Come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirls the canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better, better, better in the dark. In the dark. Has anybody ever told you you have a serious impulse control problem? Batman. Why is, has it become a tradition that we always sing at the beginning of these things? And we do it so badly. You know, I've gotten... Share our pain! I've gotten requests from friends and family. They said, listen, we love the show, we love what you're doing, but don't sing. Which makes yeah, me want to sing even that's more. That's true. It's even like, though neither one of us apparently can carry a tune in a bucket. I'm Tom DJ. And as always, I'm Derek Ferguson. And this is, in case you didn't know, Better in the Dark. Back once again. And this is actually one of our most requested episodes. This is something we've gotten a lot ever since we did the People Marvel request movie. episodes? We got a lot of people asked us for a version of Marvel at the Movies for DC. However, there's not a lot of DC. There's not a lot of there's DC, lot of exactly. Of You've got Batman and Superman, and right. that's it. Unless you're talking about TV. Well, what we're going to do, though, is we got a Batman film coming out this month. The Dark Knight. This is coming out in the beginning of July, even though we're recording it on Friday the 13th. We're recording this on June, Friday the 13th. 13th. What we're going to do is we will do a episode about Batman. We're going to do an episode when the Superman film comes out on Superman, and we'll do a potpourri show somewhere down the line. That will just throw in everything else, like the Flash mm-hmm. TV show, the Wonder Woman yeah. TV show. Because, yeah, like Tom so accurately pointed out, as he always does, there really isn't a lot that DC has done in with fact, their DC know, has done more in terms of television than with movies, because look at what you just said. The Human Target also had his own TV right, show. Right, right. Rick Springfield played the Human right. Target. And then, of course, there's Smallville, which has become this giant clusterfuck of um, live-action DC heroes. Lois and Clark. Lois and... Yep. From a few... The one know. everyone likes to make fun of, but actually is pretty good. I think it's At least a lot, that first two seasons. I think it's a lot better than Smallville. I mean, I watch Smallville, and I really don't understand the fascination with it. It's okay for a couple of seasons... You want to do Clark Kent growing up. Okay, I, I, I stuck with Smallville I until understand the, the season before the season that just finished up. The, the reason I, I stayed so long was Inertia. I was going to give up that last season, but they brought in Green Arrow. And Green Arrow actually... Right, revitalized the whole thing. Yeah, that's when I started watching it again yeah. on a regular basis because of Green Arrow. But I can tell you when, for me, that the series stopped being interesting. And that was when they had the whole storyline where Lana became possessed by a witch... And had to go to China, and she was like Kung Fu and Clark. What the fuck?
fuck was that all about? But that's beside the point. But we're not talking about Superman today. Just one more thing I want to add. The funny thing is that most of the people that seem to like Smallville don't like it because of Clark Kent. They watch it because of Michael Rosenbaum, right. um, who plays Lex Who Luther. is leaving this season. You know, well, can you blame him? He's been doing this for what now? Smallville is like, yeah. what, in his seventh, eighth seasons? I think this is going to be... It's eighth season. He must be getting tired of walking around with that shaved head all the time because he really does shave his head for the role. Mm-hmm. That's not makeup. This is a young guy. He wants to walk around with some hair for a change. There's a lot to cover for uh, Batman because that's what we're really talking about today. We're talking about Batman. Batman. He's right up there with Superman as the iconic mm-hmm. superhero. I would even say he, he's even more mm-hmm. iconic than Superman is at this point. Because everybody mm-hmm. and their mother knows Batman. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. They know the legend. They know Bruce Wayne and his parents were coming home one night. They had just seen the movie, The Mask of Zorro. Right. And they got stopped by a mugger who demanded the pearls from around Martha Wayne's mm-hmm. neck. Thomas Wayne's father, right. who was a doctor, tried to prevent the robbery. As a result, they both got killed. Although, one thing that struck me in reviewing the various movies and television series is that for a character whose entire life Revolves around that one moment, mm-hmm. the loss of his parents. His parents don't play a lot in the movie and television versions. Uh, no, they don't. They don't. I don't think it's until Batman Begins that we actually get scenes mm-hmm. of him interacting with his parents yeah. as a young boy. So now you get a feeling of his loss. But in all the previous versions, we never really get a sense of why he feels this and right. guilt. Survivor's guilt, I guess it is. Because we never really see him interacting with his parents until we see him in Batman right. Begins. A lot gets done in Batman Begins that, gets, that was neglected in the previous version. Well, but this, we're getting far ahead of ourselves. We're getting far ahead of ourselves. Believe it or not, the saga of Batman in the media begins in 1943. So even earlier than that because Batman was a frequent guest star on the Superman, the Superman radio, radio, serial. radio series. Yeah. Because whenever the actor who played Superman needed a vacation... Mm. They would bring Batman and Robin in, and like somehow Superman would conveniently find some sort of kryptonite, mm-hmm. and would be spent two weeks kind of like going, oh, oh, I'm so weak. And Batman and Robin would have to come and save the day. Save his ass. The official first movie version is the movie serial. Right. Which was called simply Batman. It was in 1943, directed by Lambert Hillier, written by Victor McLeod. It's... Not a very good serial. I've actually seen this because, as most of you know from other venues that I write Mm -hmm. in, those of you that don't, I'm a very big fan of movie serials. If you go to your public library, you can usually find a good selection of these 1930s and 40s serials. So Mm -hmm. if any time you hear us talk about these serials and you don't want to spring for the rental fee, go to your public library and rent them for free. Very right, because remember, the villain is... Japanese spy a Japanese spot. Yeah, I've so actually seen. I've actually seen this for yeah. a long period of time. This serial was not available commercially because right. it was considered offensive, offensive and racial. Of course, oh, people ask me this all the time whenever I watch something from that. Well, isn't that offensive? Yeah, it's offensive as we're looking at it now. But you have to watch it in the context of the time period yeah. that it was made in. You can't look at it from a perspective of today. You've right. got to look at it. This is what it was back then. Take it for what it is, and you, that's what you have to do. I also remember, material. I mean, I, you, I've not seen this in a long time, but I also remember that the costumes were really cheesy Look, I've seen kids at Halloween with better costumes <laughs> than in this movie. I mean, Batman has got these cones for ears, and they stick out at yeah. these crazy angles. There's actually one part where it's a fight where his mask is twisted around, yeah. and he stops in the middle of the fight to twist it back so the eye holes are where to see out of it. It's really not good. 
I would only recommend don't spend any money. See if you can go to your library and get it. But it's only for Batman completists, or people right. who are curious about how movies were made back then and mm-hmm. if they want to see what a serial was like, even though there are better examples of serials. And they made a sequel to this. I think it was called Batman and Batman Robin. and Robin. Believe it or not, it was popular enough that they made a sequel to it. But in case you ever want to write a little bit of trivia, like most people will think it's Superman, but Batman with this serial was the first DC comic book character to be depicted on the big screen. Strictly for Batman completists, or if you're curious at all, see how Batman was portrayed back then. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother. That was it for Batman. Silver Screen for a long time, although he did actually eventually spin off into his own radio serial. Right. I guess he got tired of just having just two weeks of work every every year. (laughs) The next time we do see the Cape Crusader is in 1966. The legendary... And don't you people lie to us. We know that when you were a kid you liked this show. Of course they did. Everybody liked it. Don't lie. The Adam West, Burt Ward, Batman. People want to be all snobbish today and say, oh, that was so corny. Man, y'all was sitting right in front of the TV. When I was a little kid, just like I was, was you watched it. When I was... Five years old, that was the shit. There were two things in here in New York that I built my entire play schedule around after school. The Spider-Man cartoon series at 3.30 on Channel 11, and the Batman series at 5 o'clock. And can I just say something right Mm -hmm. here, just to get off my chest right before we go in? I am sick and tired of these fanboys talking about the 1966 Batman TV show ruined the character. It did not ruin the character because that was the character at that time. If you look at Batman comics from the 60s, he's fighting villains like the Death Man, and he's fighting on top of giant typewriters and going to Mars and And having adventures with the Batman of England, the 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 Batman Batman of Argentina, the Batman of the Bowery. Remember when he four time ran around in a rainbow colored Batman? The rainbow Batman. The Batman comics of that period, the 50s and 60s, were pretty damn silly. People talk about, oh, well, yeah, that ruined the show. No, they didn't ruin the show because that was Batman at the time, folks. Try doing a little bit of history. If anything, it triggered a backlash the other way because right after the, the series was canceled was when then-editor Carmine Infantino approached Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams about doing a top-to-bottom redesign. Exactly. The redesign of the Batman that we pretty much know now didn't come until the 70s, after the show had long been canceled. As a matter of fact, Batman, the comic book, was in danger of cancellation at that time. the TV series Yeah, it was in danger of cancellation. The TV show actually saved the comic book. Mm -hmm. And there was a period of time when people forget how much, how crazy Batmania was. Oh, yeah. 66 and well, I mean, you know, because we were there. Yeah. The only thing that matched it was when the first Tim Burton Batman yeah. movie came out. It was almost the same thing all over mm-hmm. again. You have a lot of people now, they want to disavow the TV show. I still watch it when it comes on, yeah. and they'll occasionally run it on TV land, and I can enjoy it for what it was. There was a lot about that show that, you know, I'm a big fan of yeah. the movie version right. that was made. We're going to mention that. The intention was they were going to do a movie as a pilot, which is now known as Batman the Movie. The Movie. But it went straight to series. They ended up shooting it in the break between the 66 and 67 seasons. And I saw this in the theaters on King's Highway. My grandmother took me to see this mm-hmm. as a little, little kid. I remember this very vividly. It's a version of the TV show written yeah. very, very large. I think it's the first time we see 
probably one of the coolest supervillain costumes ever, which is the Riddler's full suit with the bowler hat. Yeah, well, he's the only supervillain who's got two costumes. Yeah. He's got the skin-tight green mm-hmm. outfit, but I like him much well, better the, with the suit, yeah. and he's got the spats and the, the derby. The story yeah. goes that a friend of Frank Gorshin's made it for him, and he liked it so much he went to Lorenzo Semple and said, can I wear this in the show? They said, sure. That's why he actually has those two outfits. Mm-hmm throughout. People forget what a phenomenon this was. It became the chic thing to appear on Batman. You had Sammy Davis Jr. doing cameos. You had Art Carney. Liberace was a super villain on there. But it was also remarkable because it was the first TV show that was on two consecutive nights. You had to right. watch it the and first the night. And you had the cliffhanger. And you had to come back the second night to see how Batman and Robin got out of it. There was no other TV show at the time that did that. Two new episodes. And it wasn't, contrary to what people may think, it wasn't low ratings that killed it. ABC just wanted to change its image. NBC was looking to pick it up. Right, but right. Unfortunately, and in fact, they had some scripts made up. They were going to introduce Two-Face mm-hmm. in season four, who was going to be in this version a TV anchorman who gets into an accident where, like, a television camera explodes. But, unfortunately, NBC dragged its feet, and by the time it said, yeah, we'll pick up, they had destroyed the Batcave set. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have the money to rebuild it. So that's why the show ended. Now it is, like I said, snobbish people say, well, how did they get all those people? Well, they must have paid them a lot of money no. to come on in. No, these people called up and said, I want to be on Batman. Right. Is there anything I can do? That's how the rope gag with Batman and Robin mm-hmm. would climb yeah. up the side of a building, and somebody would pop out of the, you know, like Carol Channing or Sammy Davis Jr. Junior, or what whatever. I remember. Right, clearly. that's how it started, because it was these people calling up, and they wanted they and you wanted look to be on Batman. List. Of people who were villains on this show, and when they couldn't find a, a villain for that person to fit, they made a villain up. Vincent Price. Vin- when I was a kid, that was one of my favorite villains. Egghead. Egghead, yeah. Oh, and his consort, Olga, Queen of the Cossacks. And it's funny when you look at it now, like Rudy how... Valley. And, yeah. You know, well, Rudy Valley was Lord Peasoup, wasn't he? Lord Peasoup. Lord, Lord, no, Lord Fogg. Lord Fogg. Lord Penelope Peasoup. Penelope Peasoup. That's Linus yeah. Johns. It was very much in keeping with this kind of comic book universe. If they went to London, they didn't go to London, they went to London. Mm -hmm. They went to all these fictitious cities, and there were no real celebrities. There were guys with names sort of like celebrities. Yeah. And they even were so successful at one time, people forget, they tried to spin something off from this, and that they created the Green Hornet series. The Green Hornet. There was a memorable two-part episode where Batman and Green Hornet, they mm-hmm. teamed up, and the legendary fight between Kato and Robin, right. where in real life, because mm-hmm. as you guys should know if you right. don't know already, Kato was played by the legendary Bruce, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee could have kicked everybody's ass. And realistically, Kato would have handed Robin his ass in yeah. two seconds, but they had to make the fight a draw, because of course it was Batman's show. Right. I mean, it, it was things like that. The funny that, thing is, is that, that the made Green Batman Hornet so, show, if you, it was like Batman without the campy elements, and it Die! Because they played it straight. Right. Green Hornet didn't fuck around because Black Beauty had rockets and mm-hmm. machine guns and he had no problem with using right. it to get the bad guy. But it was like Batman but played right. straight. It didn't last what it lasted a, a season. We should talk a bit about Batman the movie. The movie. The movie. Which has Batman and Robin. And, and they go up again with that. United Underworld. The United Underworld, which is composed of Cesar Romero's Joker. Cesar Romero being such a vain man, he refused to shave off his mustache. So they had to put the makeup over it. You can see, see it, yeah. You say, well, what's Although, with his lip? as we pointed out before, what's with his upper lip? You know, people in 1967 didn't realize that we were going to have this high-definition way of transmitting television images... So we'd be going, he's wearing makeup over his mustache. What sort of a freak is he? Yeah. Nobody imagined that 
we would still be watching this stuff mm-hmm. 30, 40 right. years later. Yeah, it's United Underworld. They come up with this wacky, bizarre plot that could only take place in this bizarre, wacky, right. 60 right. kind of Batman's world where instead of the United Nations, it's... Uh, the United Countries. Or United Countries. Or the World Organization. It's something like that. It's something like that. They do show the United Nations building, yeah. but they have a machine that dehydrates a person... Until there's only a pile of... I love the fact that like each of the, the different people, the different nations, they have different color piles. Yeah, now you want to talk about races, right? <laughs> the Asian guy, his is a yellow pile. The African guy is a black yeah. pile. The United States is a white pile. Mm-hmm. They keep them in these jars. And they're holding all the representatives of the nations of the world for rants. And of course, Batman and Robin are the only ones right. that can find... These four supervillains and stop. Well, we didn't mention who the other three are. You have oh, Joker, you have Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, mm-hmm. who I think really defined that character for a long time. He, yeah. like, he still is. That's still the image of the Penguin we have. Yeah, in the to me, yeah. I don't like the Danny DeVito mm-hmm. version at all. I would much rather go with Burgess Then Meredith. we have, of course, the man who was the Riddler and always will be the Riddler in my mind. As much as I love John Glover, who we'll get to in a little while, mm-hmm. he is the Riddler. Yeah, he is the Riddler, Frank Gorshin. To the point where it's obvious when uh, Jim Carrey is playing the Riddler, there are moments he, either he was told to or he decided to do it just like Frank Gorshin. There's a memorable part in the Batman movie where they're on this penguin submarine. Yeah. Which is painted to look like a giant penguin, mind you. And it's got flippers yeah. on the back mm-hmm. instead of propellers. The other villains are right. savoring the moment before they mm-hmm. kill Batman. And the Riddler just screams, will you stop messing around and kill him already? And it's such psychotic intensity yeah. that even the other villains turn around and look at him and say, whoa, because he's getting tired of this already. Let's kill Batman. Well, the Riddler is always my favorite villain in the Batman comic books and in the Batman series. Mm-hmm. And I think... Gorshin's performance is one of the reasons why. Well, I always hated when, but this is that one episode in the, the Batman series where John Aston plays him. Yeah, like, right, yeah. Who are you? Exactly. It was totally off-key, off-kilter. Yeah, was, I mean, granted, there are several villains which are played by different people. The uh, Catwoman, the Catwoman most, is played most notably. by three different people during the court. Uh, Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather, and Eartha Kitt in the who, last season. Who everybody remembers, Eartha Kitt. Because but, she purrs like nobody's business. But actually, all three of the actresses that played Catwoman were memorable in right. their own way. And they defined Catwoman. Mr. Freeze, most people remember Mr. Freeze as being Otto Preminger. But he was also played in one episode by George Saunders. George Sanders, who had such a wonderful speaking voice. And the final villain, of course, is the Catwoman. It's the Catwoman, yeah. Who, who in the movie, Lee Merriweather version. Yes, Lee Merriweather, who plays a double role because she plays Miss Kitka. a Russian Miss Kitka who has a relationship with Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne. That leads to me, which is one of the most memorable parts of the movie, in that Bruce Wayne is kidnapped at one right. point by United Underworld mm-hmm. and taken to their hideout. They put Miss Kitka... Slash the Catwoman in the right. room with him to get information out of him. He reveals something, and they take her out of the room. So right. he gets out of the room. He gets into a fight with them. But they have one scene where he actually tells them, "If you've done anything to her, I'm going to kill you." And it's one of the best acting scenes mm-hmm. that Adam West ever had. Right. I actually believe he was going to kill them. You I mean, know, the thing to keep in mind about both the TV series and this movie, is that they were pretty much geared directly towards kids. It was a kid's show, and you had things like in the movie, like the bat shark repellent. The one scene that everybody remembers, which is the, some days you just don't know where to get rid yeah, of a bomb. Some days you just can't get rid of it. He's running with the big bomb. That and it's, of course, a big black ball. It's a big, with a 
big <laughs> It's a big Warner Brothers Acme bomb with an actual fuse. Mm-hmm. And every time he tries to get rid of it, he runs into the nuns or the woman with or the, the marching band or the Salvation Army band. And he and finally throws it over the thing and Robin thinks he's dead, pops up behind him. Right. Oh, I'm okay, there's nothing wrong with me. We get to see the bat helicopter, right. we get to see the bat boat. Which all- then, of course, get used in the second and third season of the series. Right. They couldn't justify building a bat boat for the series mm-hmm. with that budget, but if they built it for the movie, mm-hmm. they could keep it around mm-hmm. and use it in the TV show. So many people, they talk about, oh, I hate this movie, I, oh, I don't... You have to be 12 years old to really mm-hmm. appreciate this There is something charming about a Batman and Robin flying around in a bat helicopter, and the police stop right. and salute it, yeah. you know, as it goes... For, this, and it's definitely one of these things where it's the big, friendly Batman. It's Batman is your big brother. There's a lot of things about it, yeah. We it's could, wish fulfillment, in a way. We could sit here, we could be all high-mighty and right. intellectual and dissected down to this one. But the point of the matter is, if you want to see a fun movie, that's, especially with your kids. Right. If you've got kids and you want to turn them on to Batman, I can't think of a better way to turn them on to right. Batman. Don't give them a copy of The Killing Joke, for God's right. sake. Good. Sit down with them and, and watch this movie with them. And I, I would not want them to watch the Jules Schumacher films for a different reason entirely. Which we'll get into. This is a perfect entry mm-hmm. if you're yeah. a comic book fan and you grew well, up with Batman. I think a lot of people don't want to admit Mm-hmm. That are our age or maybe a little bit younger, which is this was our gateway drug into the world of comics. And if you want to turn your kid on to comic books and superheroes in general, this movie is a perfect way to do it. Safe, it's friendly, it's nice, it's entertaining, it's fun. The and bad good wins over evil. Yeah, the bad guys, happy, the bad know. guys lose at the end. The good guys win. I love how Batman and Robin at the end today beat the bad guys yeah. and they reconstituted all of the delegates. Right. And, and the delegates, remember correctly, are speaking each other's languages. Because what happened is they get they, mixed up. There's an accident on the Penguin submarine, right. and the dust all gets mixed together. So when Batman reconstitutes them. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a little bit of each other's DNA, right. I guess. So they're all speaking different languages. So Batman takes it in stride. He said, well, maybe this will make them understand right. each other a little bit better. And then he says to Robin, well, let's get out of here inconspicuously. Batman's idea of leaving a room inconspicuously to throw a bat rope out the right. window and climb down the side of the United <laughs> Nations building. <laughs> Which would get his ass shot these days. <laughs> I don't care. You know, I so think we should also make mention in the TV series. Of the edition in the third season. Oh, because I know how much she wasn't quite my cup of tea, but I know that you loved her, and I know a lot of other guys loved her. Ooh, Yvonne Craig is back, girl. Oh, yeah. What is wrong with you, man? I, I just, you just didn't do anything for me, man. Oh, okay, yeah, I was macking on Emma Peel. Well, yeah, was well, age. so was that. But there was nothing wrong with Yvonne Craig. Right. She filled out a Batgirl costume very well, yeah, in my once opinion. Lord knows she had a better showing of herself than Alicia Silverstone does. Yeah, exactly. Oh. But who was a former dancer? And she was the Russian ballerina when it was in the movies. Right, in the second Flint movie. Long, long, natural red hair. Very feline features. She launched a thousand boys into manhood, I guess. And she was terrific. That now, was a weird season, though. That was a season where they no longer followed the the two parts. So, like, there right. were a lot of single episodes. They introduced a whole slew of new villains. Egghead, I think, was introduced in that season. The Bookworm. The, well, the Bookworm, I think, was second season. Right I'm thinking down. about things like the siren. Another one of my favorites when I was a little kid for reasons I have no idea. Louis the Lilac. Louis the Lilac. Burl. Milton Burrow, yeah. Uh, Dr. Cassandra. Yeah, you know why I like Louis the Lilac? Because it was like a Damon Runyon yeah. character as a Batman mm-hmm. villain. Talked in that Damon Runyon, you know, 30s type of mm-hmm. slang. Walked around with spats. Although I gotta admit, my favorite rest- Batman villain original to 
the TV series Bar None. I have no idea why I can't explain this to you. The Minstrel. Oh, Van Johnson. Van Johnson. Maybe it was because that death trap he puts them into, where he puts them over the microwave cookers on the spit, mm-hmm. gave me nightmares for weeks for some reason. I liked him because he made up these very bad songs. Yeah. And even his henchmen said, they're terrible, you know. Yeah. Why would you find a new gimmick? And then we also should mention... Probably the villain everybody remembers is King Tut. Right. That was created Victor for Bono. Victor Bono, yeah. In fact, the he cop- was so ingrained in the public consciousness that when it looked like there was going to be a fifth Batman film in what we're going to call the, the Burton Cycle, King Tut was one of the two, was going to be King Tut and the Scarecrow, who were going to be the villains. I've always wondered, because in the Batman comic, there's a villain called Maxi Zeus who imagines yes. himself that he, one of the Greek gods. Right. I always wondered, what it inspired by King Tut, who was a college professor who every well, time... Well, I think that's, that Maxi Zeus predates him. Really? I see what you're saying is that maybe they thought, well, nobody's going to know who Zeus is. But everybody knows who King Tut is. Yeah. So it might be a similar situation where they were trying to extrapolate a similar type of character. But he was a college professor yes. who was expert in Egyptology, mm-hmm. who would occasionally get bonked on the head. And right. when he got bonked on the head, he thought he was the actual right. reincarnation of King Tut. And he was determined to bring back... Which comes to think of it also, the Egyptian might be some sort of nod to the Two-Face origin as well. Yeah. Where it was like, this guy is, doesn't know what he's doing, he's a, he's a nice person, he's just messed up in the head. He's another example, and one thing before we get dive into right. the Tim Burton thing... we got two stops to go before we get into the Burton cycle. One thing I just want to point out is that a reoccurring theme that we're going to see, folks... The one bad day. The one bad day concept, not only with Batman himself, mm-hmm. but with... All of his major right. enemies, they have one bad day that completely changes their life. The whole theme of the whole Batman series, if you think, is that what do you do when you hit that one bad day? Yeah. What happens? Does it make you... To take a line from right. the upcoming Dark Knight, does it turn you into a hero or, or a villain? Yeah. Do you, be, you die a hero or do you be, live long enough to see yourself become... The person you're fighting. I think it's interesting to keep in mind that you're going to see the Joker, Batman himself, Two Face, mm-hmm. every one of his major villains has that one, one bad, bad day. day. That's the thing I think that makes Batman kind of unique in and the why comic book firm. Yeah, and why he's lasted so long is that okay, who hasn't had a right? One bad day? All of us can relate to that day when you say this is for shit. You figure it's not going to get any worse than this. So, what the hell? I might as well either give into it right. or rise above it and become something better. Which right. one am I going to do? I think that that's a thing that people recognize either consciously or subconsciously and makes Batman such a right. remarkable character. So, that's enough of psychoanalysis, folks. Now let's get back so to the, the fun. So, the TV series actually dictated how most people viewed comic books and Batman in particular for close to 20 years. The next time we see Batman is as part of the Filmation DC Heroes package. Filmation got the rights to do, I think it was Superman and Aquaman were the first two. It was Superman first, mm-hmm. and it became the Superman-Aquaman hour. And then they added Batman in the second season. The Batman that we see in this cartoon, it follows the Batman TV show formula Almost to the letter. Even down to the fact where each episode is split into two 15-minute segments. Right. With a cliffhanger in they the middle. They have a cliffhanger, then they went to commercial. That, it would be, you'd have the first part of the Batman hmm. serial, then you would have a commercial. Because also Filmation did a series of two to three cartoons with a whole bunch of other DC heroes. The Atom, yeah. the Flash, Hawkman. Green Lantern, Hawkman, the Justice League, the Teen Titans. And so you'd see one of those... 
And then you would see the second part then of the Batman Then you come back show. for the second part of the Batman. Very limited animation. It was the same four people doing all the voices. It wasn't like in the case of the Superman series where they got Bud Collier, who did the character in the movie serials, to voice the Superman. It was just standard guys. There were a lot of original characters in addition to the usual Joker, Riddler, Penguin, Catwoman. Catwoman. The one that for some reason sticks out so much in my mind is the character of Simple Simon, who was an evil baker. And had pie-related <laughs> gimmicks and stuff. And there were things, people like the doll man who mm. had toy-related gimmicks. It was all, all blank-related gimmicks. This lasted for about two seasons and even went into syndication for a long, long oh, time. Oh, yeah. I remember as far as the late 80s that they were still showing yeah. that series. Yeah. And Filmation kept the Batman license for a long time. It's funny because for a while in the 70s, we get Batman as part of the Super Friends... But the Super Friends license was separate from the Batman license. Right. So you got had Batman goofing off in the Hanna-Barbera Super Friends, and then you had the new adventures of Batman mm-hmm. over on CBS. Right. Which was also Filmation. This one was a little more of a conventional cartoon series where you would have a single half-hour show. Now, is this the one... That Where they got Adam West and this Burt is, Ward. Right. This is probably and, the, the most distinguished thing about right. it, that they actually that got the, the Bat- presence right. of Batmite. Batmite's never been distinguished as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The thing about it for me that they actually yes. got Adam West and Burt Ward to come back and do the Dude, voices. They did the voices. They did have Batgirl every once in a while, but she was a standard voice talent actor. Yeah. Yeah, they couldn't get Yvonne Craig to do it. There are two things that are interesting about this version of the Batman cartoons. One is, they use a lot of ultra-obscure Batman villains from the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. In addition to, of course, the, the standards. So you have the Moon Man show up. Okay. Who was an astronaut who got affected by radiation while he was on a, on a moon mission. And so whenever underneath the full moon, he became a supervillain. You had Signal Man. So you only got to worry about him once a month. Yeah, once a month, <laughs> yes. Finally a Batman villain that women can relate to. Yes, and then you had... And much like in the, the TV show, you had celebrities doing the voices. One of the original villains that they fought was a character called Sweet Tooth, who was voiced by I Paul. Remember, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember Immensely fat guy who just will not grow up, who was voiced by Paul Lynn. Right, other, and he was even dressed like short pants yeah. and carried around an old bass sucker. Like a little, yeah. right. The other thing that, that is interesting about this is this was done during the period where Action for Children's Television was very, very active. Oh, yeah, them people. Them, so, them people almost single-handedly killed Saturday morning TV. It wasn't just that these were adventure stories. These were adventure stories with a message. With a message. And, of course, nobody could hit anybody. Yeah. And they had to resolve their problems through understanding. Right. And, oh, let's relate to people. And, so, so, oh, please, sweet give me shows up, And it's about... You shouldn't eat sweets. You should eat healthy. I remember that. Uh, I guess we should also make a very brief mention of uh, Batman's appearances as part of the Scooby-Doo mystery movies. I think he appeared in two of them. And they're typical of the Scooby-Doo mystery movies. But I think it's also worth mentioning, if I remember correctly, now folks, I haven't checked up on this, but I'm sure that if I'm wrong, Tom or one of you will correct me, I do believe that Adam West and Burt Ward did actually get back into the costume okay. before. Remember, they had the Super Friends oh, roast. Oh, gosh, I forgot about the Super Friends roast. They had yes. the roast to the Super Friends. Yes, you are correct, sir. 
Okay, you are correct. Score one for the firm, folks. I just, re- I, you know what? You I, know why I, I'm thinking about? I it? just pulled that out of out of the back of my head just now while we were sitting and there talking about it. And you know why it. it stuck in my head so clearly? You know who else climbed into the spandex? Frank, Frank Orson. Orson as the Riddler. Right. Frank Orson was the Riddler, in and they even had a guy like Hawkman, Hawkman, Flash. So it was Hawkman. Green Lantern. Right. Because Charlie Callis played Charlie Sinestro. Charlie Callis, yeah, Sinestro. They had Black Canary and Huntress. Those were the two female yeah. characters. They did have Hawkman. They had, I think they had the Atom. And actually, you know why I remember this so well? Because if, if I remember right, the costumes were actually pretty faithful. You know especially, why? Especially Hawkman. They yeah. got a big, yeah. muscular guy. A lot of you them know. were like people who never acted again. The girl who played Black Canary, not only never acted again, she married the guy who was the producer of these two shows. Oh, well, good way to make a living. And if you can get it. I remember that the Huntress was a black woman. Yeah, the yeah, was, right. The Huntress was black. Yeah, but they made two of them. They, 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 they the made the legend, Rosa, the legend of the right. superheroes, and the legend of the superheroes, the Rose, which featured Dick Gregory has Ghetto Man. Yeah. Oh man, we could do a whole show about them two alone. Oh, yeah, no. I remember they did yeah. get Adam West and Burt Ward. They came back to play Batman and right. Robin. You know why this is so heavy in my mind right now? Our good friend John Drew, who does the Everything and Anything About Drew, she posted on his live journal a an internet television show called The Stack, which is majorly annoying. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. TV I, shows yeah. about superheroes. Yeah, I saw and that. And they cited the Justice League of America... And they showed stills. They showed the wrong still from the Justice League pilot that was busted. The one which we'll talk about. I guess we'll get to the potpourri. Oh no, I've seen that. By the way, you poor man. Oh, oh. I've never seen it. But we'll we'll talk about that in the potpourri. Anyway, we should get back to focusing on Batman. Filmation thing lasted one season. Mm-hmm. The, the new adventures of Batman. For a while, the only time you could see Batman was on the Super Friends. Super Friends lasted a long, Super long time. Super Friends lasted a god-awful long time. It turned into Challenge of the Super yes. Friends. And the one everybody remembers with the Legion of Doom. The Legion of Doom. And then it became the Galactic Guardian Galactic show. Galactic Guardian show. Then it became the Legend of the Superpowers. Those last two seasons, Galactic Guardians and Legend of the Superpowers, I remember the most clearly because, of course... Has both a Firestorm fan and a serious Teen Titans freak. They introduced mm-hmm. first Firestorm mm-hmm. and Cyborg. And they also introduced a whole bunch of right. other original characters like Apache Cheese. Uh, yeah, because, once again, Action for Children's Television stepped in and said, No, you have to be racially diverse. Black Vulcan was Black supposed Vulcan. to be Black Lightning. Black Lightning, But right. Tony Isabella, who owned part of the character, said... What the fuck? Are you kidding me? He said, no. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. how. I I don't need the money that bad. Right. (laughs) He became Black Vulcan. There was El Dorado, who was a Mexican, bare-chested mystic guy. Yeah. There was Apache Chief. Everybody remembers Apache Chief as the Indian guy who said, Inukchuk, and grew grew very big heights. And finally, there was Samurai, who had nothing to do with any samurai that I ever knew. Didn't even carry a sword. He just spun around real fast. Spun around very fast. I don't understand what Samurai thing Although Samurai was the only one of those four characters to actually make it to the Superpowers toy line with the third wave. For a while, that was the only place you could see Batman is in the Super Friends and also in reruns of the Batman TV show. For ten years, starting around 1979, when John Peters, who had secured the rights, who was this whack job, 
And we'll be talking about he him. He was a, a hairdresser. Lot. He was a hairdresser to Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they got lucky. Let's be honest here. He he was a hairdresser that got lucky and stumbled into producing. Because yeah. of the contacts he made while he was cutting like, their hair. Yeah. Guess what? I got this idea for uh, John Peters got the rights to Batman. And f- the first thing he wanted to do, most people forget this, is back in 79, they were planning on doing Batman as a comedy yeah. with Bill Murray. With Bill Murray, Batman. yeah. They tried several different incarnations, and it didn't quite work out. Eventually, they approached a young man by the name of Tim Burton. I'm willing to bet that Warner Brothers said, why don't you give this guy a chance? Now, let me ask a question. You go, sure. Because this is a guy whose name that I constantly see popping up mm-hmm. as far as the film incarnations of Batman. I've never really been sure exactly what his role is, and I'm sure yeah. you know who it is. Okay. Michael Uslan? What exactly? Uslan had a little bit of a, a good relationship. He was like a Warner Brothers executive who decided to go independent. But because he had those connections in Warner Brothers, he was able to get Warner Brothers proper. Yeah, sir. And oh, Warner Brothers okay. brought uh, DC Comics sometime in the in the mid eighties. In the mid eighties, Michael Uslan, uh, John Peters, and yeah, Peter Goober. Yeah. Warner Brothers had just done two successful films with Tim Burton at this time: Pee Wee's Big Adventure, yeah, and uh, Beetlejuice, and said, "Why don't you give this guy a try?" Tim Burton turns out was a very big comic book fan, and Tim Burton looked at this. And his eyes lit up. He said, I'll do it. What resulted, of course, if you remember, it was called Batman the Movie for a while. As yeah. opposed to Batman the Dish Towel. And then it was just Batman, Batman. which, of course, fact, what you want to do. For the longest time, the movie posters had no title on it. It was just the big symbol. The bat in the yellow oval, mm-hmm. which is what all you saw that summer. Right. That summer that movie came out was the summer of the Batman. For those of you who don't remember, I remember very clearly. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, you know how I saw Batman? Indiana Jones came right. out that same summer. Mm-hmm. I would see the midnight showing of Batman. I left right out of the theater where Indiana Jones was playing. Batman came out on my birthday that year. Yeah. My friends took me to see it that night. Remember, they had people mm-hmm. dress up as a Joker. Yeah. The you probably saw the same thing mm-hmm. I did in Manhattan. Folks, they had people came dressed as the Joker. Right. The Catwoman. The Penguin. And they got up on the stage and they danced and yeah. they pranced. It was a mob scene that night. The thing is, when they announced Timber, and you and I remember this, the screams that came up from people. How are you going to give Batman to this Joker? He always done his Pee Wee Herman movies. Oh, it wasn't nothing like what he And then when he, he had the chutzpah to, to Michael, cast Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton as Batman. A comedian as Batman. The firestorm that happened. But however, I had seen two movies where Michael Keaton right. played a serious role. He played Clean and Sober, mm-hmm. where he played a guy hooked on cocaine trying to get clean. Right. And he was in a movie called uh, One Good Cop, where he played a cop whose partner got killed, mm-hmm. and he kind of took responsibility for taking over right. his partner's family. I knew he had the acting chops to do a serious, dramatic mm-hmm. role. The way you hear people tell it, they yeah. was going to burn down any theater that was going to show him well, Batman. <laughs> I remember, I guess it was because people forget that there was a long, long dearth of comic book movies. Because... The Superman franchise had died in a noble death. Which was the only movie, comic book yeah. franchise we had and in fact, because for the longest time. Uh, Superman The Quest for Peace did so badly. That's why we didn't get Spider-Man. Spider-Man had been bought by Canon at the time, and Canon was going to do it. Yes. And thank God he didn't. We all flocked to see it, and we all loved it. Although, now that I look at it like I did recently, for the first time in over a decade, i got to say, not so much. It's not a very good film. 
I think it still holds up. Primarily, and I'm going to say this, even though I don't think it's a Batman movie. It's a Joker Joker movie. movie. Well, part of the thing is the big coup that Burton did was he managed to secure Jack Nicholson to play the Joker. Nicholson did not want to be paid up front. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be paid in points. Yeah. To the point where he made so much money. In fact, he was still making money off of Batman Returns. Jack Nicholson, he was one of the first actors, if not the first, to ask for his payment in points. Yeah. He made such an outrageous sum of money from this that you had all these actors from now on. They said, well, yeah. I want points. I don't want to mm-hmm. be paid up front. Yeah, and and so much happened because of this movie. A young man by the name of Avi Arad who had a small uh, toy company. Yeah. And Lord knows how he got this. Got the rights to do the toys. Toy Biz, which was this little crap knockoff toy company, mm-hmm. was doing Batman toys. When he did such a crap job on them, they took their license away. Right. So Aviara turned around and got a license from Marvel, and the rest is history. And look at it this way. You got Michael Keaton now. He's playing supposedly the lead character. Right. And I think he's like third build in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right after Nicholson and Kim Basinger. Character. You know what like sort of bugged me about the film when I, when I saw it again recently? There is this one brief sequence with Batman at the very beginning. The two thugs. Where he goes, I want you to tell your friends about me. I'm Batman. And then he disappears. Mm-hmm. Totally for 40 minutes. We don't see Batman again. This is what we I'm saying. We see Jack Napier. We see Vicky Vale. We see Knock. Robin Well. Who Lord knows what he's doing in this movie because he does oh, I nothing. Love, I love him. He's funny and he's a good actor, but he has no real purpose in the story at all. But I think that the real strength of this movie, and as I keep telling people, is that Michael Keaton is the perfect Bruce Wayne. Yeah. They have a terrific scene where. Vicky Vale, oh, played by Kim, Kim Basinger and um, Alexander Knox. They're in this hall full of suits of armor, mm-hmm. which right then tells you something about the character of mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne. He's studying all of this, and he's walking behind them. And they stop at one and say, well, where did he buy this at? And he says, oh, well, I bought that. And said, well, how do you know where it comes from? He says, well, I'm Bruce Wayne. Just something about the way Michael Keaton says, I'm mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne, that's so natural that you don't right. die for a minute. I like the way he plays it because... You're not supposed to look at Bruce Wayne and say, well, he could be Batman. You look at Michael Keaton and you say, nah, there's no way this guy could be Batman. It's funny in the the way that his... Bruce Wayne almost seems to melt into the background. It's a conscious camouflage in his part. Yeah. I love the scene where he's in the Batcave and he's working and he's got the glasses on. Right. And you can see Michael Keaton thinking. That's why Mm -hmm. I love him as an actor. You can look at him. You see he's putting the pieces together and saying, okay, I know how he does this. As a Batman movie, it doesn't work because it's not about Batman. Right, and on top of that, it's, Jack it's, Nicholson isn't playing the Joker. Jack Nicholson is playing Jack Nicholson playing at being a supervillain. Okay. But I will say there is one moment where he did sell me, mm-hmm. which is in the museum where he sits down and he has... This is going to be a recurring thing when we go through the entire burn cycle. Mm-hmm. Where he sits down with Vicki Vale and ha- has this little discussion where he lays out the principle of the one bad day. He yeah. explains, you know, oh, some people think it's because you have this one terrible thing that happens to you and it changes your life. No, the fact is, life is chaos. Mm-hmm. Life is randomness. Nobody sees that but me. Notice how I, for some reason, am going right if he puts in the whole philosophy... Of the one bad right. day, right then and there. Then, of course, it's we got to have the action scene, so yeah. we have Batman, Batman show. comes in through the skylight, and he's got the thing. I don't know what that thing is supposed to be, but it's so cool that Jack Nicholson yeah. says one of the great lines in the movie. Those wonderful toys. Right. There's a lot of wonderful yeah. lines in this movie. Whatever you may say about the movie, you have to admit one thing: 
it made a shitload of money and it completely revitalized yeah. Batman as a character as far as film properties mm-hmm. go. Not because, just as film properties. I mean, because every, again, yeah. everybody went to see this movie. Right. Unlike with some of the more recent comic book movies, people went to their comic shops for the first time in years and it triggered what most people consider to be the great 90s boom. This really revitalized a lot of things. And other film companies started and looking at this and saying, there might be money in these right. guys in these funny outfits. Mm-hmm. If we take the time and money to do it right. right. I do want to make mention of what I consider to be the most distinctive thing about this film, which is the set design. This Gotham looks like no other Gotham ever it put looked, on film. It looks like a place like, why would people want to live there? Which is one thing that Jack Nicholson, as the joke yeah. says in the movie, well, why would people want to live here? They do, they deserve what they get. You I know? mean, you have these spires that go up seemingly up into the upper atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That insane bell tower that they have the final fight in. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. The graphic designer who designed all those sets unfortunately passed away. Anton First, I Anton believe. Anton First. It was his name. Passed right? away... Uh, shortly after the movie came out. My memory is cooking. uh, That cityscape put such an impression on the public that they actually wrote a storyline in the Batman comic book. They explained that there was like this other section of Gotham that had been kind of like walled off because it was actually driving people mad. Right, because that's actually the theory behind Gotham that, that, where, it was it's built at, yeah. that where it's built at is actually affecting people psychologically. Right. There's a psychological kind of like an anti-feng shui. Another way of putting it is, and you and I have had discussions about this principle, I forget the psychologist who put it forth, the idea of the feral city. It's definitely something that gets brought to the fore when we start talking about the Chris Nolan films. Because we've had long conversations about it. That's something the, that I'm, I that's keep coming the, back to. That's at the core of one of your stories of a town that Tom keeps writing about. Chimera, Chimera Falls. Falls. Not just Chimera Falls. I had the, the Champions fanfic series that I did for right. a while. was also a feral city. It's something that I'm really fascinated by and I keep coming back to. It is a fascinating writing. concept and if any of you guys... You should really look into this because it is a fascinating the notion. And even Grant Morrison, he's written about Grant this. Morrison, it, yeah. Warren Ellis. I've recommended this comic book series to you, Fell. Right. It's yeah. about a fictitious feral city. The other one that comes to mind is that legendary question series that Denny O'Neill did in the late 80s. The name of the, it was Hub City, but Hub he, City, told me, right. he told me in an interview that it was meant to be East St. Louis. Because mm, okay. most people point to as examples of feral cities, Detroit and St. Louis of the 70s, mm-hmm. where they almost tried to wipe themselves off the map. Yeah, Detroit was very bad at what so. time. So, yeah, look it up yourself, research it. It's a very interesting concept. But to get back to Batman, but, yeah, yeah. To wrap it up. There's a lot of things about this movie that I love, and I like, I like it because of the Michael Keaton performance. Mm-hmm. I like it because of the Jack Nicholson performance. Right. I like it. Because of the little touches like after the first night when Bruce Wayne... Oh, well, we should mention the one minor character. And he's one of the few characters who is in all four of the Burton Cycle films. Which is, of course, Michael Goh playing Alfred. Well, he's not a minor character, but... Well, yeah, no, he's but not, but he is. I think he's an amazing so, Alfred. But no, something... Every, yeah, every time he shows up in these movies, he's memorable. Mm-hmm. Michael Caine, I... You know, we and haven't Michael seen... Michael Caine is great We haven't seen The Dark Knight yet. Yeah. You know, and in the first one... He was a good Alfred, but I don't think he touches Michael Gow, yeah. who absolutely nailed the part. Michael Gow is perhaps best known to people, me, as being the person that you got if you wanted to make a Hammer-style film, he was and Christopher a, Lee wasn't right. around. He was in a lot of Hammer Horror yeah. films, and they said, right, yeah, that's where I know him from. But he really nails the acerbic nature of yeah. Alfred in these movies with his comebacks. The other, and with the other actor who is in every one of the Burton films is Pat Hingle. 
as play Commissioner, Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon. Who really doesn't really do much. No, exactly. he doesn't. There um, is one other actor who appears in this film, and only this film, has a major role, and you wonder why he doesn't show up in the others, which is, of course, Billy Dee Williams, who plays Harvey Dent Harvey in the first Dent, film. yeah. Who obviously was being set up, because he showed yeah. up as Two-Face. But we'll get to that when we get to... More's the pity. So to sum yeah. up about... Because he's really, really, really good. And he's got a lot of screen time. Yeah, I forgot movie. how much uh, screen time. I told yeah. you, yeah. A lot of people forget. Billy D. Williams is in a, this movie for a good part yeah. of the movie. Of course, he doesn't have any scenes with Bruce Wayne, but he is in the movie. Although we see him in the, the party at the... At, the at Wayne Manor. Yeah. yeah, at Wayne Manor. He's in, they have like the casino set up and he's playing craps. What else should we mention about this movie? This movie was also notable... Because it had two soundtracks. Right. It had the... Uh, the Prince soundtrack, the which sound- is the one that came out first, and then the Danny Elfman. And this was one of Danny Elfman's earliest works. He did do the soundtrack for uh, two previous films. But this um, is the one that really, I think, launched him into the stratosphere. But he was also with the group Oingo Boingo. Yes, at the time, yeah. That's what most people thought of him. Right. This is the one that launched his... After I mean, that, you know, he pretty much didn't have to work with Oingo Boingo no, again. He, Although he did occasionally come back and do albums with them, if it, though they broke up. He did a lot of movie soundtracks after this. This launched the careers of a lot of people. Wasn't it the highest grossing film of all time at, for a brief period? For a brief period of time, yes it was. You had a lot of very happy Warner Brothers executives just threw more money at Tim Burton and said, make us another. Tim Burton didn't have the suits looking over his shoulder this time. So Tim Burton made a movie for Tim Burton. Yes. <laughs> Some people, like the two of us here in this room, will say that this is probably the best of the Burton cycle. I think it is. I, I think, think it is as well. I think it's better than the first one, Batman. It brings out much stronger acting chops than Michael Keaton. Yeah. I think it has a better story. And actually, Although even I will admit that the last 25 to 40 minutes of it it just breaks down and just goes off. Oh, who cares? To be honest, considering how many characters you got and yeah. how many different storylines, and in two hours, you're never confused. You always know what's going yeah. on, mm-hmm. and they resolve everything. I don't know. What happened with Shrek is, is, to this day, I still cannot tell you what Shrek was. Maybe we should talk about the plot. It's right. around Christmas time in mm-hmm. Gotham City, which even though it's this dark, depressing place, right. they still celebrate Christmas time. Batman is summoned at the beginning of the movie by... Commissioner Gordon. Gordon. And this wonderful scene where we see Michael Keaton sitting in a room full of clocks. Right. And, and the, like, bat- the way that it's set up is there are these various mirrors around the room. Yeah. So whenever the bat signal goes up. There's... No matter where he's at in the house, yeah. he'll see it. And mm-hmm. he's sitting in his room full of clocks for mm-hmm. some reason. Yeah. And they never explain why. You see the bat signal yeah. on the wall behind mm-hmm. him in this dramatic shot. So he goes to Gotham City. It's a bunch of clowns. Right. Attacking the Red Star Gang. That by... Noted and unfortunately, alas, recently passed on character actor Vincent Chiavelli. Vincent Chiavelli, who has one of those monkey... Oh, the monkey, the organ grinder The monkey. organ grinder with a 30 millimeter cannon yes. in it. He comes and saves it, but we find out that this gang is led by the, the penguin, penguin, who we saw in a memorable pre-credit sequence. And the interesting thing about the credit sequence, it was the first time we had seen... One Paul Rubens right. on film since he was arrested in Florida for jerking off in a he movie theater. He plays the Penguin's father. Yes. Who, when the baby is born, him and his wife are so horrified, they put him in this tent. We don't see him. And it's like, all you see is like this claw come out and grab the kid and the kid starts screaming. <laughs> <laughs> they keep him in a cage. And one night they just get tired of it and they mm-hmm. throw him in the yeah. river. He's carried in the sewers underneath Gotham, where he's adopted by penguins. Yes. <laughs> of all things. He's the guy who's behind 
this gang that's terrorizing Gotham. This is, we, we learned, by the way, in this first sequence that this is a much more brutal film. Yeah, this is... Batman is killing people in this one. There's actually one scene where he turns the Batmobile around yeah. and he just flames this guy mm-hmm. with the exhaust. And then there's another incident later on where he straps a bomb to a guy and yeah. throws him down a manhole. Well, you know what? He's probably getting over all that frustration about having a suit in the first one which he could not move his fucking neck. That points out another flaw in both Burton movies, yeah. even though as much as I like him. Let's face it, folks. Tim Burton is not an action director. Yeah. He can't direct action to save his life. He's good with the dark psychological mm-hmm. stuff and the visuals and dialogue. When it comes to action, he's not. Because the fight scenes in this movie are like really sad. Except for Michelle Pfeiffer, who plays yeah. the Catwoman. The penguin comes up out of the ground from mm-hmm. the sewers where he's been living at. He only wants to find his parents. That's his whole thing. He wants to find out where he came from. Right. And even for what Bruce Wayne is sympathetic. Mm-hmm. towards him until he gets involved with Max Trek, played by our good friend Christopher Walken. Right. Okay, this is the biggest gaping hole in this whole film, is the character Max Trek. We never know what the fuck he's doing. Mm-hmm. There is a scene very early on where he's confronting Lena Kyle, who is his assistant, mm-hmm. played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. And she makes this explanation about... Oh, this power plant you're planning on giving to Gotham is very fascinating, but it's apparently just going to be a huge transformer. It's just going to suck energy away. What's the purpose of all that? What's the point? Wouldn't it benefit you more as a businessman to supply them power and have them dependent upon you? Mm -hmm. Why are you sucking power out of it? I kind of get the feeling that either they had Christopher Walken under contract to do this movie and had to find something for him to do, so he's a created Batman villain, Mm -hmm. not an established one. Right. Or else, you got a point there. As much as I like him in this movie, there's really no reason for Max Trek to be there. For that matter, there's not a lot of reason for the Penguin to be here either. The real strength, and not a big Catwoman fan, but the big strength of the film is Catwoman and Batman. Yeah, that's where the heat right. from the movie comes from, actually. Mm-hmm. The relationship between those two and her origin story, which is one of the stupidest origins on record. She gets brought back to life by cats after right. getting thrown off of a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Max Trek throws her out yeah. of the office window. Because and then she lays in the alley. He's like, I, I, should, I shouldn't do, but I'm not supposed to be doing that sort of thing because I'm too important. Mm-hmm. What the hell? <laughs> and he throws out the window. And she's in the alley. And all of a sudden, these cats come from nowhere. And they start mm-hmm. biting on her fingers. Yeah. And breathe life back into yeah, her. And she, now she's like this... Uber hot babe. She's got a whole new attitude and scares the shit out of Max Trent. And manages to sew an entire jumpsuit from one small raincoat. And apparently, this also gives her super acrobatic abilities yeah. as well because now she's running across rooftops and mm-hmm. she's doing backflips. She's wielding a whip like Indiana yeah. Jones and all kinds of stuff. But it's movie logic. You gotta go so with it. So basically, the Penguin hooks up with Max Shrek, who's looking for somebody to replace the mayor. The mayor's never given a name. Played by... Uh, Michael Murphy, who Michael was Murphy Tanner right. in the infamous Robert Altman series, Tanner. Mm-hmm. So he figures, oh, I'll put the penguin up, and he tries to orchestrate this campaign, which makes the penguin look like a misunderstood man who mm-hmm. wants to be a hero, wants to be part of Gotham, and actually succeeds for a while. Meanwhile, of course, you've got the... Catwoman running around, getting into other people's hair. Part of this scheme is that they frame Batman for yeah. murder. Of course, Christy Conway, the Ice Princess. Right, guy. the Ice Princess. They throw her off of a roof and they frame Batman for her murder. And he's got to prove himself innocent. And we ought to mention that while all of this is going on, 
Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle meet each other, and of right. course they fall in love. Remember the scene at the end when they go to the costume ball? Yeah. Everybody else is wearing masks except accept. for them. Because that's their mask. Yeah. It's, a nice it's funny because it's like, you look at this film and you look at the original scripts. Mm-hmm. Right. Robin was supposed to be introduced. And there were a lot of other different ideas. One of the ideas was that Joker was going to have a cameo in the, at his trial. Going to give Billy Dee Williams the acid bath. It's kind of all over the place. And mm-hmm. eventually, around the hour and 20 minute mark, when Batman is canceling out the Penguin speech. Oh, yeah, yeah, And he's yeah. doing the, the mix mastering. And he's doing the mix mastering. <laughs> you get the impression Byrne just says, ah, oh, fuck all this, and just... Decides to do an entirely different movie, uh-huh. which involves the penguin who is riding on top of a giant duck. <laughs> yeah. But deciding to... That's when he takes control yeah. of the Batmobile, mm-hmm. because his gang has put some kind of remote control right. device on it. And which looks like a rubber ball with a thing sticking out. And, and in one of the movie's biggest plot holes, mm-hmm. they have a thing where the penguin finally says, I'm going to make Gotham suffer, and he decides to go ahead yeah. and kidnap all the firstborn children. Which then, off-screen, is resolved by Batman. Because the organ grinder's monkey shows up with a note. And it's a note from Batman saying, well, all the children are safe. You know, and you say, well, wait a minute. Well, what happened? Why did we see how Batman saved the children? One of the reasons why I love this film is that it does give Michael Keaton a lot more depth to play in. Yeah. This is much more a Batman movie. We actually see Batman doing a lot more of the stuff we want to see And you know Batman how you and I have complained in the past when we talk about these superhero movies about how the actors can't wait to get their masks off? Well, there is a scene in this film where Keaton reveals himself to Selena, where it makes total and absolute yeah, sense. It makes sense why he would pull his mask off and reveal mm-hmm. himself, because he recognizes how psychologically damaged right. she is, and she needs to see who right. he really is in order to try to pull her out of mm-hmm. the psychological hell that she's going through. So there's a lot of weird continuity glitches, like, what the hell happened to Vicky Vale, even though she is name-checked at one point. There's a wonderful part where Alfred is talking about... You know, he's actually taking the high horse and going, you should not reveal your secret identity. He's, he's like, talking about... Oh, yeah, that's easy for you to say. It's like, my own business back here. Turn oh, hi, Vicky, how you doing? This right, because that's after the thing with the Batmobile, and they're wondering, well, how are we going to fix it? Alfred says, well, we've got to worry about security. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> said, yeah. yeah You're the guy worried about security. <laughs> yeah. Sure you are, Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> and also, another thing i like to mention is the look of this movie. This movie is actually... Like well, it, a black and white movie. Yeah, and the other thing I found color. Once again, we, obviously Anton Fuest cannot come back. He died in the interim. Mm-hmm. The art designer for this one came up with an interesting concept for Gotham, which is the idea that the bulk of the city had been built very, very early on in mm-hmm. its lifespan. And it had become at a point now where the city was actually settling on its foundations. Mm-hmm. So you had buildings which were lower than they should be. Yeah. 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 Like which I thought was... Build- Buildings were higher, and mm-hmm. the streets were slanted and sloping. Yeah, that yeah, was like a really interesting look. There are no primary colors in this movie, except for Christmas tree. That's the only primary colors that you see. Everybody is wearing dark colors, mm-hmm. or they're wearing white. Since it takes place during Christmas, you got snow, but all of the buildings are black. This is almost like a black and white movie, but filmed in color. Right. It's a very striking look. I particularly remember one scene where the penguins walking through a graveyard. That's very German, expressionistic yeah. looking. Really good. I like this movie a lot. I do. Like, we keep saying, we both think it's better than the first Batman. This thing led to a lot of bad stuff, but it led to one really good thing. The creation of Batman the Animated Series. Produced by Warner Brothers through the auspices of Bruce Timm. 
It is barely considered... It's the beginning of the DC Animated Universe. It is considered one of the best superhero cartoons ever. If not the best, it is considered one of the best. Mm-hmm. Rightly so. This was a TV show that, unlike Batman Returns, which scared a lot of kids... Yeah, well, that's what we're going to get into in a few minutes. Reportedly, kids had to be taken out of it because the penguins terrified them so mm-hmm. much. This was a movie that kids could watch... But it didn't insult adults. If you was an adult, you could sit down and watch Batman the Animated Series. Well, some of the Batman Animated Series stuff was truly frightening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of them episodes, if you watched it, you said, whoa, you know, should kids be watching this? They did get kind of intense in some of the better ones. It also features the man who I think is probably, in terms of the voice, is probably best identified with Batman to this day, Kevin Conroy. And the actor who is perhaps best associated with the Joker at this point now, mm-hmm. Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill, of all people. Mm-hmm. Who the thunk And that launched Mark Hamill's career as a voice actor. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> well, Mark you know why Mark Hamill got the job? They had originally contracted Tim Curry to okay. play the Joker. But the thing is, Tim Curry, who was a chain smoker for a long, long time, mm-hmm. was unable to get the lung capacity up to do the laugh. Which, if you can't do the laugh, so they went to their can. second choice. And the rest is history there. Wow. There were a lot of other really great voice talents for the villains. John Glover played the Riddler. It also introduced one of the rare cases of a character being introduced in a cartoon series that made its way back into the mainstream comic book. And it was another one of these candidates for the fifth Batman film in this cycle, which was Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn, who had, to me, one of the most fascinating origins of all Batman villains, because she started out as a Joker psychiatrist in Arkham right. Asylum. She was trying Dr. to cure... Harleen Quinzel. Right, who was trying to cure him, and actually became infected with the Joker's madness, mm-hmm. because she spent too much and time And she around. also shows up as the main villain in the Birds of Prey series. Yeah. Which we'll be talking about a little bit further down the line. We made allusions to the fact that Batman Returns... Scared a lot of kids. The problem was is that Warner Brothers marketed Batman Returns to the hilt, including a lot of kid-oriented... Related things. Happy Meals. Batman toys. But people were going in expecting to see a lighthearted superhero romp, and Mm. instead they got this dark psychological drama with these damaged people. With this weird finned guy biting the nose off people. Eating raw fish, and then they got the memorable scene where Batman and Catwoman are having a fight on a rooftop. And it's one step away from sex. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of obvious what it is. It's obvious that these people are getting a turn on from wearing these costumes. So adults were kind of like, what the hell is this? In fact, Tim Burton had started work on what was then called Batman Triumphant. They actually went as far as to cast it. It was going to feature... The Riddler was going to be the main villain, the main and only villain. Mm-hmm. Michael Keane was going to come back as Batman. Mm-hmm. Rene Russo was signed as Chase Meridian. Ooh, interesting. Who was going to be the female interest. And the Riddler was going to be played by Robin Williams. Who had been lobbying for the role ever since the first Batman right. movie. However... Warner Brothers had a meet with Tim Burton and said, you can't do the dark, psychosexual bullshit anymore. <laughs> Tim Burton says, well, thank you, but I think I will not be doing this one. Yeah, exactly. They go to Michael Keane and said, okay, Michael, Tim Burton's not doing this like Michael said. Well, I was really doing them for Tim, so if you don't mind, I'm going to go and do something else. Yeah, if he's not doing them, I'm not doing them. So, so with no Michael Keaton, Warner Brothers decided to skew younger. Mm-hmm. And they hired Val Kilmer. Also, because like with the previous one with right. Batman Returns, they were also planning on introducing Robin in this one. Right. So they figured out if they went younger, mm-hmm. they'd have uh, older brother, younger brother kind of. Instead right. of with Michael Keaton, 
With him, it would have been father and son. It would have been father and son. When would they hire Val Kilmer? Now, since uh, Rene Russo was noticeably older than Val Kilmer, they decided to give Rene Russo her walking papers mm-hmm. and hired the Flavor of the Month time. Nicole Kidman. They also decided that Riddler wasn't enough of an interesting villain, so they were going to introduce Two-Face. Our good friend, Billy D. Williams, had it in his contract that he had to play Two-Face. Pay attention, folks. This is where it gets interesting. So, they called Billy D. Williams and said, Billy D., we don't want you to play Two-Face. Movie Politics 101. And Billy D. Williams says, in my contract, <laughs> I gotta play Two-Face. But if you give me enough money... <laughs> I don't have to play Two-Face. I can sit here at home and drink my cold 45. <laughs> yes, exactly. All day long. <laughs> he got what we like to refer to in the wrestling circles as the Kevin Nash op. <laughs> you know, they bought him out. They paid him off. Come on, they paid and him off. And they hired another flavor, flavor of, of the, the month, month at the time, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. They were insisting there was going to be a Robin in this one. And they had narrowed down who was going to play Robin to two people. Young up-and-comer, Chris O'Connell. Or young up-and-comer, sensitive guy, Leonardo DiCaprio. How did they decide who got to wear the Robin mask? Uh, Warner Brothers executive went to San Diego Comic-Con and went to like little kids and showed them a picture of Chris O'Connell and a picture of Leonardo DiCaprio and said, Who do you think would win in a fight? The kids all chose Chris O'Donnell. You can see how this is already under a bad star. Let's face it, I think that Leonardo DiCaprio could whip Chris O'Donnell. Oh, yeah. Something about Leonardo DiCaprio looks more to me like he could whoop some ass if he had a mind mm-hmm. to. <laughs> they needed to get a new director, so they went to Joel Schumacher. Who had been known... Before you people start saying, oh, here's the good stuff, they're going to start bagging on Schumacher. No. Not me. I ain't going to... Not in this... I'm going to tell you folks exactly why. This is coming straight from Derek Ferguson, so when you write your mm-hmm. emails, you know who to send them to. Right. I've heard a lot... From people that when I have this argument with them, they tell me Joel Schumacher ruined the franchise because he compromised his artistic vision. No, he did not he compromise. He was never brought in to be an artist. This is the best way that I could put it an analog. If you're hired by McDonald's, you're hired to make a hamburger in a certain way. Yeah. You don't go in there and say, I don't want to make a hamburger that way. I want to make it this way. No, I McDonald's, want to make a buffalo burger. McDonald's is hiring you to make a hamburger the way they right. want you to make it. Warner Brothers hired Joel Schumacher to make a Batman movie. They wanted to see The intention was from day one. In fact, Schumacher tells a story on one of the commentaries about his first day being interviewed, he learned a new word. toy They wanted to make sure there was a lot of different gadgets and fun stuff that they can make toys and Happy Meals out of. Right. And it's funny because like, you look at the last two films in this cycle, you see a lot of unnecessary costume changes and a lot of different gadgets that seem to be changed from scene to scene. And the next one that we're going to get to, Batman and Robin, you have a character like Poison Ivy who's wearing... A different costume in every single scene. In every one single scene. Because, of course, you know, each one of these was meant by the executive. To be a new toy. A, yeah. new, toy, a new action figure. Mm-hmm. But getting back to the one at hand. This is a peculiar one. I, in reviewing it for this episode, it's not a good movie. But there are germs of a good movie in it. The major thing that I like about it mm-hmm. is that we've got a more physical Batman in yeah. this one. We've got Although, Bat- Val Kilmer is a great actor. Mm-hmm. But he, he does not have a chin. You have a Batman whose mouth kind of disappears into his cowl. He looks ridiculous in the costume. 
But we you finally get to yeah. see a Batman that's swinging on a rope, yeah. that's going across the rooftops, right. that's doing somersaults. The things that we see in the comic well, book because that of Batman. Well, you got a Batman costume that's more supple. I mean, because with the infamous right. bat nipples. Because it's more obvious that he can move more right. easier in this thing than Michael Keaton ever right. did in his thing, which was really kind of constricting. Like the, the thing that I like about this film is that there's a subplot about the duality. There's a whole theme of duality in this film, which is why, I, I mean, I almost can understand why they wanted Two-Face in this film. The major theme for Batman is, does he need to live life as Batman or as Bruce Wayne? Mm-hmm. I almost think that part is part of the Burton script, almost. It plays like a part of a Burton film, with all the impressions. Yeah. yeah. yeah when you look at a lot of this movie, you can see there's a lot of Tim Burton. It's apparent that this was intended for Tim Burton to and direct, because there's a lot of Burton in touch. To be fair, he does have an executive producer credit on this. Mm-hmm. Like I think it was part of the buyout. Yeah. But then you get stuff like Two-Face, who is, it's obvious it's not really Two-Face, it's their attempt at doing a Joker without being the Joker. As much as we love Tommy Lee Jones, there's absolutely no reason for him to be in this. You've got Drew Barrymore and Rebecca Fox that play No, no, no. Drew Barrymore and uh, Deborah Mazur playing Sugar and Spice. At least Drew Barrymore has some things to do because she's assigned to be the the arm candy for the the Riddler while he's going around doing his... And this is another one that has a nonsensical scheme. Riddler... In this one, doesn't have the psychological... Or, well, he does. He sends up, I think, maybe one or two riddles in this yeah. movie. Three of them. And they all have... It, it, this shows you how lame this is. All the riddles have number components, and when you put the numbers together up against the letter, it up against the, the alphabet, mm-hmm. it spells out Enigma. But he's this scientist that has... Well, that's the biggest problem with uh, the Riddler in this film. He does not have the one bad day. He's a whack doodle from the start. He's got a fixation with Bruce Wayne, and he's created this machine that sucks your brainwaves. Again, somebody's sucking brainwaves. He puts a device on your head, and you get that person's memories or intelligence. I don't know. Well, it's supposed to be some form of 3D television that interacts directly into your brain, but it has the side effect of the person transmitting the the signal sucks off the brainwaves of the people viewing it. And then you can get, like, bank numbers. All of them are inside my head. Because at one point, that's how he learns Batman's secret identity. Mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne gets hooked up to this. So, and like you said... He's a nut job from the start. He grabs Bruce Wayne, who's going through Wayne Enterprises, and he's saying, oh, good job, people, keep it up, keep it up. Jim Carrey practically assaults his own boss and says, well, you've got to listen to what Mm -hmm. I'm doing here. The other guy's saying, yo, you better back off. His boss is played by Hey Bagley Jr., and he's saying, this is the boss you're grabbing. But Bruce Wayne hears him out. It's only when he says, he says, that sounds suspiciously like, contemporary people's minds, that's uh, something I can't allow. He said, we got to do more testing. And then he grabs him again. Yeah, now, this is his boss. He says, well, that's not good enough. I need my answer now. <laughs> Jim Carrey does this whole film in the worst aspects of Jim Carrey. In full Jim Carrey notes. It's Ace Ventura, supervillain. He's not playing a character. He's, this is his usual Jim Carrey shtick that he's running through again yeah. instead of going through the trouble of creating, which I know he can do. I've seen his yeah. other movies. The Truman the, Show. You're right, The Truman Show that we've both admired. Mm-hmm. So we know Jim Carrey can't play a character. He's not even bothering to do this. And know? as bad as he is, I'm sorry, Two-Face is even worse. Once again, just like with the first Batman, there's one moment at the very, very beginning where Two-Face is having the talk with the bank guard where you get the impression that whoever wrote the script understood the character and then choose to ignore everything about everything. it. I mean, there's even that one horrible scene after they've invaded Bruce Wayne's mansion. He's sitting in the background 
flipping the coin. The first time we see him, he goes, shall we kill him? And he gets, like, the good side. He gets the heads up, yeah. And now, usually, now, in the comics, he would just go, okay, I'm not supposed to kill him. I let him live. But no, we keep coming back to him, flipping that coin again and again and again. Which is not Two-Face, because that's the whole core of Two-Face. Especially when, at the very beginning of the He goes about what the coins tells him to do. Chase Meridian says to Batman... The coin is the center of his universe. And he follows what the coin says. So right. the Two-Face, you and I know, wouldn't keep flipping it. He flips it one time. However it and comes up, he abides by that decision. Chase Meridian, who is named after the old Chase charge card, because that's what they used to call him. They used to be called the Chase Meridian really? card. Really? Okay. She is a terrible, terrible character. I like bad boys. Even though it does help, like I said, I think that, that her... Subplot with Bruce and with Batman is the most interesting thing about this film. Mm -hmm. She's a terrible, terrible character. Granted, the only thing that makes her does not make her the worst heroine in the Batman Burton cycle is because we get Julie Madison next to it. Before we close up, it's also worth mentioning oh, let's talk about because we finally get Robin right. in this movie. After two movies of them trying to shoot right. one Robin in and they couldn't do it, finally they got Robin mm -hmm. in the person of Chris O'Donnell. I didn't mind O'Donnell that much. Mm -hmm. I didn't mind him either. Yeah. At least as Robin, he had a much better costume than Robin yeah. in the comic books. Mm -hmm. you know, in fact, they, they ended up changing Robin's yeah, costume. Because right, of because that. of this movie. Yeah. Sometimes he has some of the better moments in the film. There's that one moment where Alfred sends him to, off to do the laundry. Mm -hmm. And he's using his acrobatics, the stuff that he's learned in the yeah, circus. Yeah, in the circus. To yeah. help dry the stuff. And that's like a, a cute little scene. And they're like these little grace touches. And I think that he, once again, Kilmer, I mentioned something about Kilmer, as much as we, we bagged on him for looking ridiculous in the suit, Kilmer did a really interesting thing here in that he created, in his Bruce Wayne, there's a definite continuity between his Bruce Wayne and Michael Keane's Bruce Wayne. Because you can even see where he uses some of the mannerisms that mm -hmm. Keane did. It's pretty obvious to me that he took the first two movies and he studied yeah. Michael Keaton's mannerism because he wears the same glasses right. and even has the same mannerisms. He's at least providing a continuity where he's saying, okay, this is the same guy. They got like nice little touches where he yeah. mentions Metropolis a couple right. of times. Oh, well, this never right. happens to Superman. Yeah, and again, we've got, like in the Batman TV show, we've got the bad boat. Okay. We've got the bad play. We've got all these wonderful toys. Of course, the fluorescent gang. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. Who shows up again in Batman and Robin. I can't believe yeah, that. Yeah, to sum up. Uh, but the villains are just crap. crap. I mean, Two-Face, he's Wile E. Coyote, as yeah. I believe me and you were talking I've, one night. But no, I mean, the thing is, it's obvious that the screenwriters made Two-Face into the Joker. Okay. The Riddler, and as I mentioned, the Riddler is my favorite Batman villain. One of my favorite villains of all time. And he is very ill-served. I would have much rather seen Robin Williams, considering... How hard he lobbied for the character. I felt that he probably understood. My choice, if I had my choice, and I've said this before, I would have gone with James Woods. Who, uh, yeah, I think, oh, first off, is physically the same kind of look as the, the character. In the I comics. can see that. And I think it would have been a much more sinister character. Oh, definitely. The other thing that we should make note is that this is the start where you start seeing a lot of costume changes. Mm -hmm. There are two costume changes for both Batman and Robin. And Robin, yeah. In the, although, at least... They took the time to logically set out these costume changes. And explain why, yeah, right. because Two-Face Two and Gorilla, they invade Wayne Manor and, and the Batcave, and, and they blow the, the shit yeah. out of everything. It's an experimental costume that he's been working on, and it's the only costume right. he's got left. The Riddler goes through eight different costumes in here. Yeah. You see him in the standard tights, and he's got the suit, mm -hmm. and then he's got this god-awful, weird-ass gold and silver lame one. 
Yeah. At the very end, where he's got his hair done up in these and like, he's got, yeah. yeah. He looks like a drag queen. Yeah. Like, what the hell is this? Oh, well, <laughs> we'll get to more drag queens in just oh, a moment. Oh, my God. We should make mention before we leave Batman Forever, another Batman film that came out in theaters, which really wasn't supposed to. Mm-hmm. A little thing called Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Ah, which to me is next to Batman Returns, probably my favorite Batman movie. Yeah. This one is a lot This is an interesting thing. case. Because this is made by the same people that, right. of course, made Batman the animated This series. was originally intended to be a direct-to-video movie. Right. That was done between seasons. They're like three different phases of mm-hmm. the animated series. Batman the animated series. The Adventures of Batman and Robin, which lasted one season. Mm-hmm. And then what they called the Gotham Night Cycle. The Gotham Night Cycle, right. which, which was on the WB as opposed to the Fox. The Mask of the Phantasm was supposed to keep the crew together between the animated series and Batman and Robin. It came out so well that Warner Brothers said, let's release it to theaters. It's a very loose adaptation of Batman Year Two. We get a really deep exploration of Batman and his relationship with his parents. We see how he found the Batcave and how he created the Batmobile. We got the idea for that. And the plot revolves around a figure called the the Phantasm, Phantasm, who's running around killing off the old crime bosses of Gotham City. Batman's trying to figure out why is he doing this. And in the meantime, the crime bosses think it's the Batman that's doing this. So they hire the Joker and they say, here's a suitcase full of money. Right. Kill him once and for all. And at the end of the movie, they really have this really brutal, savage fight in this abandoned mm-hmm. uh, amusement park that's supposed to be the 1950s right. World's Fair. There's a love interest for... He's got more old girlfriends yeah. that he fell in love with than anybody that I can think of. Mm-hmm. And like every incarnation of Batman, they always introduce what? I mean, the one thing that's kind of impressive about the, the Christopher Nolan cycle is that so far, there's only one girlfriend. Yeah! It's, it's like Even though she's played by two different actresses. At least it's the same girlfriend. Right. And, and every... New movie that we get is some new old girlfriend from his past. Uh, but this girlfriend, Andrea Beaumont, played by uh, the actress who will go on to play Lois Lane in the Superman animated series, Danny Delaney. Actually, at one point, according to this movie, they were engaged to be married right. until she broke it off because her father was disgraced. But the major point of the movie that I like about it is that it takes so much time exploring how Batman becomes Batman. And when he falls in love with this woman, they have one really heartbreaking scene where he actually goes to the gravesite of his parents and he says, please, let me go. Let please. me have this one. Thing. Let me, yeah. He said, this is all I wanted. He said, I'll give money to the cops. Yeah. <laughs> He's making all of these promises to his parents. And then there's a crack of thunder. Boom! And yeah. you see it lights up. And he yes. says, oh, man. <laughs> no, son! <laughs> and then that's when Andrea comes up behind right. him and she says, well, I understand. And they don't show you that they have sex, but this is what a few times in the bed that they actually Batman does the nasty. Right. But the next scene is that you see them getting out of bed and putting on their clothes and you know right. going out there to have a talk. The animation is just fantastic. Well, the thing that, that's fascinating to me about the Batman animated series mm-hmm. is they wanted a certain look and they found this one factory in Japan mm-hmm. that produced cells, mm-hmm. but with a black background as opposed to a white background. That's why the the early episodes, the ones up until the the, the Gotham Knights episodes, have such a unique, murky look to them. Even though it's daytime scenes, Mm -hmm. that's why it looks like everything in Gotham City happens at night. (laughs) No matter even if it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. the daytime. But you're right, it does give it a unique look that we hadn't seen in animation 
before then. And that was part of the big success of Batman the Animated Series. Even though this movie didn't do too good in the theaters, on yeah. video it did do extremely well. Because I took my nephew to see this. Right. And he loved it. He thought it was the greatest thing he'd mm-hmm. seen since I don't know what. But he loved it. He said, oh, Uncle Derek, can we stay and see it again? And I said, yeah. We went outside and we snuck back in to yeah. see it again. I felt it did a lot more and it was more faithful to the Batman I knew than the Tim the, Burton the movies or Batman cycle. Forever yeah. in terms of story. And of course, we can't say it enough, our man Kevin Conroy. He does such a wonderful job as Batman find, and Bruce Wayne. I find it funny that when the time came for the Justice League cartoon, mm-hmm. they recast Superman and recast every other character who had shown up in the DC animated universe up to that time that was going to be the, the Justice League. Mm-hmm. But not Batman. They, no, they didn't touch that. The fans would have been up in arms about it. Are you kidding? That's why this most recent Batman series, The Batman, yeah. I think that's why it failed because people have gotten so used to well, it. Well, it did, to be fair, the, that series, The Batman, did last five seasons. So, I couldn't get into it because if I see yeah. animated Batman, I'm used to hearing Kevin Conroy's right. voice come out of his. I, I mean, I watched a lot of the episodes from this last season because it was primarily a team-up show. Mm-hmm. So I got to see their version of Superman, their version of Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. But it's still, I just could not get into it. because Nah. Just, yeah, but Mask of the Phantasm, I would advise any Body. Do what I do because I watch Batman, I watch Batman Returns, and then I watch Bass and Phantasm, and then I watch Batman Forever, and then we go into what is, even though me, even though you've heard me defend Joel Schumacher, I can't defend this yeah, one. Yeah, it's kind of brutal. <laughs> so there were a couple of three things that changed in this one. There usually was a three year break between one Batman film and the other. Mm-hmm. Batman Forever actually made. More money than Batman Returns. It actually was a bigger success than the second film. There was a great deal more pressure to put out the next one sooner. There was a great deal of pressure from marketing to do more characters. Mm -hmm. You can tell that this is the one that marketing is calling the shot. Yeah, Mark, yeah. All of a sudden, it's not just two villains. Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze were the villains that were chosen. Mm-hmm. But then you have Dr. Jason Woodrow. Yeah, who pops up in the beginning of the, the movie. Beginning, played by our good friend John Glover. Who was instrumental in the origin of Poison right. Ivy, yeah. We played have, by Uma Thurman. Played by Uma Thurman. We have Bane show up. Yeah, Bane. For no reason, reason at all, yeah. And Bane, in the comic books, we should mention, is a super like, intelligent um, major debate. He's the guy that broke yeah. the bat. Movie and he this is this hulking lunatic who just repeats every second word. He's a thug. He's yeah. Poison Ivy's bodyguard. He's Poison yeah. Ivy's bodyguard, and then he becomes Mr. Freeze's bodyguard. For no reason. For no reason. We've got also shoehorned in here for no readily apparent reason, Alicia Silverstone, who was mega, 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 mega hot at the time. Every 19-year-old boy's fantasy. Yeah. Shoehorned in. Has Batgirl. For no other reason than she was so mega hot at right. this time. Plus we get Vivica Fox in one scene. Yeah, this, is the, this is the one Vivica Fox. Ms. B. Haven. This is the one where we have the abominable sight of Arnold Schwarzenegger forcing his henchmen in a sing-along to the Snow Miser song. Yeah. So they get... They, they get call me Snow Miser whatever I touch turns the snow in my clutch. <laughs> I'm too much. And they're singing bad. And it's like, sing! You must sing! <laughs> and it's a typical Arnold Schwarzenegger 80s performance, even though this is done in 1997, mm-hmm. in that every other line out of his mouth is a snow or ice pun. 
Although I have to admit, the long line he had about if revenge is a dish best served cold, mm-hmm. then tonight is the night I will feast. That's a good that, line. That's a good line. You can only look at it and you can only imagine what it would have been like if the original person, Patrick Stewart, had played the role. He would have played it in a much more grand Shakespearean manner than Arnold Schwarzenegger, who frankly takes it for a joke. And it's a noisy, loud, obnoxious movie. He has this thing where he's stealing diamonds... And there's supposed to be a power source for right. a Since when are diamonds a power source? I have no idea. Diamonds have no inherent... But, you know, they call diamonds ice. Ice freeze. It all works out. Yeah, well, I guess so, but I... Have... As bad as Arnold Schwarzenegger is in this film, mm-hmm. he is nothing compared to Uma Thurman. I gotta give Uma Thurman credit. It seems obvious to me that she saw what she was given and said, oh, this is going to be a pile of heat. She works with what she's got. She's a professional. I, I so. love the fact the moment she becomes Poison Ivy, she suddenly becomes Mae West. She does the whole, like, oh, well, uh, you guys are here for me. This movie actually, as far as I'm concerned, they did a version of yeah. the 60s, because they got a scene where Batman has to pay for something, and he whips oh, out a bad credit card. When they're having the debate over who gets to take out Poison Ivy. And then he adds... Don't leave home without it. Yeah, he has a bad credit card. Do we even want to go through the, the plot of this one? Mr. Freeze shows up. You just ask me, do we want to go for it? Okay, go with, okay you do it then. You do no, it. you go ahead and do it. No, go ahead. I don't want to touch this one. Okay, he shows <laughs> up in Gotham. For some reason, he's really pissed off because his wife was played in a glass tank by Vendela. And his plan is to... Wreak revenge on Gotham. He's going to freeze Gotham. He's going to freeze Gotham. He's building a giant Meanwhile, freeze gun. Pamela Isley, who is the assistant of Dr. Jason Woodrow, okay. played in the best over-the-top manner by John Glover. Who you comic book fans out there will recognize as the Floronic Lionel Man. Yeah, uh, he's, he's the Floronic Man in yeah, the, the comic. Floron- yeah, Jason and John Woodrow. Glover, of course, is a Lionel Luther. Is Lionel Luther, yeah. Smallville. Apparently, Wayne Enterprise is confronting on this outpost in South America. Right, they're in the Amazon jungle. They're in the Amazon doing, jungle. Doing research on yeah. plant life. Pamela Isley is obsessed with creating plant... Animal hybrids, so plants yeah. protect themselves. Glover is busy trying to sell super soldiers, the Bane, mm-hmm. to foreign powers. Keep Isley quiet, she kills her. But it doesn't quite take. No, and what emerges is a drag queen in the shape of Uma Thurman. Because he dumped a bunch of yeah. chemicals that bunch he's of working poisons. on. Yeah, right, yeah. on her. And she melts into the ground, yeah. and then she's resurrected as poison ivy. One of the things that's like really amazing is how ugly... In each successive scene, they managed to make Uma Thurman. The costume isn't flattering. The hairstyle, of course, isn't flattering. Even her makeup. The worst is in the last scene where we get the debut of mm-hmm. Batgirl. Mm-hmm. She's got her hair done up so it looks like she's got these little fly trap things yeah. on either side of her head. Yeah. What the fuck? You look at this and you, you have to wonder what the people that were making this movie were thinking of. To give George Clooney his credit, George Clooney, I've read interviews with him and I've, he said, stepped up to- and I've said this before. George Clooney, he didn't blame the studio, he didn't blame Joe Schumacher, he didn't blame anybody but himself. He said because I take responsibility because it's yeah. my name up there. He said in interviews that he was also filming ER. He would film ER during the daytime right. and literally go from one set to the other. In every scene of me, he looks like he's tired. Yeah. I can see that the man is tired. I just think that this was Chris like, O'Donnell is so over the top in this one. I think that he recognized that Clooney was so tired, so maybe yeah. he felt he had to overcompensate right. lack. And then you've got Alicia Silverstone, who is no Yvonne Craig. 
Well, she looks like she's lost. If you remember, there was a period in her life mm-hmm. where she packed on the pounds. This is the beginning of that period where she's looking a bit on the the chunky side. Well, I got no problem with that. Oh yeah, no, I mean I'm just saying though. It's I like, like full figure women. At one women point, anyway. she's dressed up in this Catholic schoolgirl uniform. And it's like the most unflattering Catholic schoolgirl uniform on the face of the planet. Even yeah. though I do like full-figure women. If mm-hmm. you're going to play a superhero or superheroine, yeah. it's a good idea to cut back yeah. on the cheesecake so yeah. that you can fit into the spandex. Well, there's like, do that ridiculous, ridiculous scene where she cracks the code and discovers the Batcave. And there's that computer simulation of Alfred running. It's having this conversation with her where she's like, I want to help Batman and Rob. It's like... I anticipated just this thing, so I created something in your size. And then we get what has become the iconograph of the, the Schumacher films, which mm-hmm. is her suiting up, mm-hmm. and it ends with a shot of her butt, which is just so unflattering. Yeah. That, like and I of said, course, the forward shot of the of her breast. Of her breast, yeah. You get a full, right in, full, <laughs> right in your the, face. Right in your face. If you're going to play a superhero or a superheroine, it's a good idea to cut back right. on the cheesecake. Now that you bring this up, this is one of the stupidest subplots in the movie. Alfred is dying of this mysterious disease, and he doesn't tell anybody for some reason. And he's looking for his brother, Wilfred. And now all of a sudden, Batgirl is now his niece. Yeah. Instead of being Commissioner Gordon's niece. Which I guess they said, well, we don't want to pay Pat Hingle any money. Although Pat Hingle has probably a larger role in this one than any of the other things. But I guess they figured, well... They didn't feel like writing any scenes for him, so let's just make her Alfred's knee. It ties in with that whole subplot they have going about Batman recognizing that Alfred is his father in spirit, if not in blood. It's just, it's just a. And of course, Batman and Robin follows in the grand traditions of yeah. other movies, whereas. I guess as soon as you put on a costume, that means you've got these super acrobatic powers yeah. now because sudden oh, Batgirl, girl, yeah. she's flipping around and she's doing all, she's doing martial arts yeah. and she's doing, just like Selena Kyle did, you know, in Batman Forever. The funny thing is, Barbara Williams is not supposed to be the female lead. That's supposed to be Elle McPherson's Julie Madison. Easily the freaking worst character Ever to be in a Batman movie. And probably the most forgettable. Yeah. He's like, why don't we get married, Bruce? Ooh. <laughs> if I was Bruce, I'd be, shut up, bitch. And you, yeah, and, as a matter of fact, George Clooney gives her a look in the movie. Yeah. And say, you can see, he said, why don't you shut up, bitch? And like I said, much as I will defend Schumacher, even I can't defend this one. But, but the thing is, this isn't even Schumacher's film anymore. This is a corporate suit movie. And yeah. like you said, this is what the marketing people told him, they want to see. Because you mentioned the costume changes. They all there are three different costume changes for the, the heroes. Mm-hmm. Mr. Freeze stays pretty much consistent throughout. Yeah. Because he's got that goofy-ass armor. Bane is consistent throughout. Yeah. And then you've got Poison Ivy, who literally has a new costume in every scene. And each one mm-hmm. looks like it's trying to outdo the other in how truly grotesque it looks. The worst of it being that red and green one with her doing like the fly traps on her head. She looks like a drag queen. You want to know how bad this movie is? How bad? This movie was so bad, I saw this movie, believe it or not, I saw it twice. Mm-hmm. I saw it by myself. And then I had my nephews. They wanted to go see it. Yeah. So I said, well, I'll suffer. For their sake, said, I'll just take me a gallon of Bacardi. And, right. <laughs> and I'll be straight. But this movie was so bad, the reels was out of order. And <laughs> nobody noticed. I saw this at King's Plaza. Yeah, that's it how bad it was. so loud. Nobody noticed. And it's like the equivalent of having 
a really smelly guy just grabbing you by the collar, throwing you right up to his nose, and screaming at you for the course of two hours. Mm-hmm. I think I was the only person that noticed that it was a fairly crowded showing that we went to. That horrible climax, which features Gotham actually freezing you, and they keep coming back to the dog peeing on the fire hydrant. Mm-hmm. Jeez Louise. But you want to know something else that I noticed? What? Now, we've had Batman through all of these movies. He's had a Batmobile. Yeah. That's a two-seater. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, he's got Robin. <laughs> and now, all of a sudden, the Batmobile is a one-seater. No wonder Chris and I was like, oh, you don't trust me! Yeah, he doesn't want Robin riding with him anymore. Uh, yeah. How much can you say, well, I don't want you for a partner anymore. I don't even want you to ride with me. Nothing yeah. personal, Dick, but... Here's a motorcycle. Yeah, right. The and Red the, And he with the motorcycle. He's got a cutoff switch in the yeah, Batmobile. I know, right? <laughs> This is also like the stupidest looking Gotham of all time. Yes. With those weird ass statues for no readily apparent And they're reason. driving on the arms of the statue. Yeah. What they're doing leaps. Let's move on because, folks, if you've seen Batman and Robin, you know what we're talking about. And if you haven't, take it from me. Don't go see it unless, of course, you are a Batman completist or if you're a George Clooney fan. That's the only reason I can think of why you would want to see this. And Deservedly believe it or not, every, yeah, everyone thinks that this did so poorly, it killed the franchise. It didn't kill Just the franchise. Just a myth that that's where we get, oh, Joe Schumacher killed the franchise. No. No, he did not. For about two years, they were constantly planning on a Batman 5. Exactly. Schumacher actually made Because a the movie made yeah. money. Schumacher made a pitch... For a adaptation of Batman Year One, Year One, which is which what, would have focused on Batman and Selina Kyle, which is what Schumacher wanted to do from the beginning right. when they first hired him. Warner Brothers told him, "No, that's not what we want. This is what we want." For the longest time, it looked like the villains were going to be the Scarecrow and King Tut, or mm-hmm. the Scarecrow and the Bookworm, mm-hmm. or the Scarecrow and Killer Croc. For a long time here in New York, you know that Howard Stern. Very strongly campaigned to yeah. be the Scarecrow. Eventually, the, the interest died down in this. The Batman animated series ended, although they did have a spin-off for a while called Batman Beyond, which right. was about the uh, future Batman. Which actually was very good. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that a lot. It was about a Terry McGinnis. A high school student named Terry McGinnis. And he was mm-hmm. handpicked by uh, age Bruce Wayne. Right. Who was about like 80 years Who old. Who becomes the Alfred in the series. He's living in Wayne Manor by himself. We mm. presume that, although it's never explicitly said, but we can assume that Alfred has passed away. Right. We never really find out what happened to Dick Grace. He had an affair with it, but Batgirl that ended badly. And that Barbara Gordon is now the police She's commissioner. She's now the commissioner. We actually see the last case that Bruce Wayne had as Batman, where he's wearing this high-tech suit. Yeah, and he actually has, has, has to fly. shoot. Has to shoot and he has somebody. to shoot somebody with a gun because he starts having a heart attack. While he's fighting these bad guys, and he has no recourse but to pick up a gun to save mm-hmm. his own life and shoot one of the guys, and that's when he quits being Batman. Finds this kid Terry McGinnis, and he starts training him as Batman. And he basically stays in the Batcave, right. and since Terry can hear him over the radio, he can give him guidance mm-hmm. and provide support. One thing I like about this Bruce Wayne, he can still kick ass. Yeah, if he has to. Oh. Him and Ace the Bat Hatter. That's a touch that I really like. Yeah. That he's got this big huge ball that living with, but. That was fairly popular, and even had his own spinoff for a while. It, uh, the Zeta Project. The Zeta Project, And yeah. another interesting little bit of trivia. That very distinctive title sequence for Batman Beyond was done by the one and only Darwin Cook. Really? Who later goes on to make some sort of history for himself as the writer and artist of 
the new frontier. But uh, yeah, Batman Beyond, I really enjoyed that. As I said, Terry McGinnis, he mm-hmm. made it interesting. They chose, rather than doing, okay, here's a version of the Riddler. Except for, of course, they had the Greek gang called the Joker. Called the, basically, a, a kind of a religion had grown up around the Joker. There was one episode where, briefly, you saw what might have been the skeleton of the Joker like right. in their hideout, but it had a suit. With right. a flower, there was a, and it was only for a couple of seconds, mm-hmm. but you would wonder, was that right. a skeleton? But it wasn't until they made a movie called The Return of the Joker. Right, that they explained what had happened to Dick Grayson and yeah. what happened to the Joker. And, and it wasn't pretty. No, it wasn't, <laughs> folks. If you see any of the Batman Beyond yeah. DVDs, by all means, pick it mm-hmm. up, because it is worth getting. It's interesting seeing how Bruce Wayne develops as an older man and right. how he training a younger man to be Batman. And Terry McGinnis isn't the Batman. He's never going to be the Batman he was. But it's interesting seeing how he grows into being his own Batman. He's got a different set of abilities because in his suit he can fly. He's got stealth Mm -hmm. capabilities. So it's a different take on the Batman thing. I like it. For a while, it looked like the Batman franchise was dead. Although there was a new TV show called The Batman, which neither of us, I think, liked very much. No, it, It relied a lot more on science fiction elements featured some very radical redesigns of some of the characters by Joe Madura, mm-hmm. including a Joker who was pretty much unrecognizable at first. When I first saw the TV commercials for this, I thought it was a creeper. I didn't yeah. think it was a Joker until I actually saw the episode. He's got these big, huge bare feet. Mm-hmm. He's got what looks like a straight jacket that yeah. he's wearing. It was just too radical uh Redesigned for me. Executives of Warner Brothers had took a meeting with a man who we have reviled in the past mm-hmm. by the name of David Goyer. Oh, yeah, we revolve him. Who I still attend is a total jackass. Even jackasses can do something right. Goyer pitched the idea of doing a total reboot of the Batman franchise with a real-world foundation so that anything that Batman is seen doing Mm -hmm. can be done with the technology that was available today. Warner Brothers liked the idea, sent him off to do a screen story. They got interest from a director of a cult film by the name of Mento, mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan, in directing the film. Goyer and Nolan collaborated on a script. Originally it was called Batman Intimidation, but it then became Batman Begins. To fill the role of Batman, they got a very good actor by the name of Christian Bale. Christian Bale, who's been in a lot of... A lot of people really don't realize how long Christian Bale mm-hmm. has been around. I remember him when he was a kid in Steven Spielberg's Empire of the, the Sun. Sun. I think he was only like 12 years old or and something for me, like that. When he, my first encounter with him was, of course, American Psycho. Right, which is where I think most people yeah. know him from. He was acting long before that. Right. And even then... You could see the spark of what he would become as he grew older. Right. He made one of the best science fiction movies that I ever saw. Which we have talked about e- many times in Equilibrium, the past. which for me was way better than The Matrix. And if it wasn't for the fact that it happened to come out at the mm-hmm. same time as The Matrix, and it was looked at as a copy of it, when yeah. actually it was a lot better. Christian Bale becomes the new Batman. Mm-hmm. Michael Caine becomes Michael the new Michael Caine, which is a, was a big surprise. I thought Michael Caine, when I first heard that, was a little too big to be playing Alfred. Although, when you see the role Alfred has in this film, you can understand why they you were understand why. like that. Yeah. Liam Neeson plays Henri Ducard, mm-hmm. although we find out he's not who he thinks he, who we think who is. Who is the character that is taken from and the comic the films, books. Uh, they choose one who was always intended to be in the fifth Batman film, which was the Scarecrow. Right. And they get... 
British actor Cillian Murphy. He of the very, very scary eyes. Very, very scary eyes. To play the main villain of the piece, Raisha Ghoul. Mm-hmm. They get Ken Watanabe. We also have our old friend Rucker Howard, who plays the CEO of oh, Wayne Enterprises. Exactly. And Morgan Freeman Freeman. as Lucius Fox. Fox. You can see from the list of the characters that they're definitely going for more of a comic book feel. Lucia Fox never appeared in the Burden cycle. It's obvious from the acting talent. Before you saw the movie, I said, well, you know something? They're going to take it. we forgot, of course, one of the most important members of the cast. Who? Gary Oldman has Commissioner Gordon. Who looks just like a Frank Miller character from year one. As the female lead, they created an original character, Rachel Dawes, who was played by Miss Stroke Victim... 2005, and listen, Katie Holmes. Stop ragging on Katie Holmes. She has this right? habit of talking stop outside like, of her mouth. Stop ragging on Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes was fine. People would have loved that they put Natalie Portman in there no, with no. her non-acting role. No, no. Let Katie me tell you something. Okay. Maggie Dillon Hall is an upgrade. No, she's not. Yes, she I is. I would have rather had Katie Holmes. You would. I mean, I like Katie Holmes. There was nothing wrong with Katie Holmes. Everybody got on this girl for no reason. I don't she see talks why. out the side of her mouth. That's so what? A lot of people talk out the side of their mouth. She looks like a stroke victim. Some people talk out the side of their neck. I'm looking at it one of them right now. <laughs> hey. No, but really, seriously. Katie Holmes, I liked her. I saw no problem mm-hmm. with her. I know a lot of people had a problem with her, but I didn't right. have a problem with her. I am looking forward to Maggie Gyllenhaal, yeah. but I like her too. From what I understand, Katie Holmes wanted to spend more time with the kids. That's why she well, didn't she, come Well, she'd back. been brainwashed into the, the family. Yeah, we, yeah. We will not Ooh. be, we will not be clear. Ooh. We will not be, we will not be clear. Yeah, I'm wondering how long that's going to last. Yeah. You know that's why he got divorced from Nicole Kidman. Yes, of course. Because she didn't want her kids raised in Scientology. Batman Begins, not surprisingly, is the origin story of Batman. It's the beginning of his campaign against crime. This is the only movie, except for Mask of the Phantasm, that I feel is really devoted to the origin of the character the damn movie series is named after Batman. In watching it this morning, is we see so much of Tom and Martha Wayne. They, They take up a large portion of that first 40 minutes. This is the movie that we and you get, get a real that sense we understand why Bruce much feels like such the, a- that Punisher film. Mm-hmm. You know how we talked about the thing that really works for me about the Punisher film is you get a sense of what Frank Castle had before it's taken away hey, from him. I, we, we get a sense of a lot in that early sequence because we get a sense of what a loving family Bruce had. Mm-hmm. We get a sense of how strong Alfred is too in that sequence right after when Christian Bale comes back from college. Intending to kill uh, Joe Chill, and he lets him have it. This this house is you know six generations of your family. Mm-hmm. It's your house. You respect it, right? Which is why first you said, "Well, Michael Caine," but yeah. you see why? Because you need an actor of that caliber to pull off right. a scene like that. Yeah. Because he's somebody that stands up to Bruce. He has to be. I mean, yeah. somebody has to be able to stand up to him. To put a check on him. Mm-hmm. That's why he has Alfred. Presumably that's why he has Robin. He mm-hmm. has all these people around him. Because in the back of his mind, he always realizes that he could go too far in his war against crime. Right. The scenes with his parents, you get a sense of that. Bruce Wayne always says, well, this is the life I could have had. If, th- if this hadn't happened I didn't to have me, my one bad day. this is the life I could have had. And that's always been taken from and him. you know what else is, is really interesting? In the brief period where we get to meet Joe Chill, we get a sense of him as being just the wrong guy at the wrong time. Yeah, it's not like what he planned. See, me, I've always been one of those people that's been in favor of that. Batman should have never find out who killed us. That's why he's always out there, mm-hmm. because 
maybe he'll catch the guy that did it. To me, once he catches Joe's chill, really, is there any reason for him to continue? But if he's just an anonymous guy that comes out of the night and mm-hmm. just kills his parent and then disappears back in there, well, he keeps going out there every night because sooner or later he'll get the guy that did it, right. even though he may not know it. You really know what I really like about this, too? What? You know those fins that's on Batman's gloves? Yeah. Well, this movie yeah. finally explains what the damn things are for. <laughs> because, of course, we see Ducard training him with the glaive. Yeah. With the... And it's not just decoration. There's a reason he's got the right. fins on his gloves. And I said, wow. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's why I like this movie as an origin story for Batman. Because it explains every little thing that we need to know about the character. This is how he got the Batmobile. This is why he wears the suit. Mm-hmm. This is why they introduced Lucius Fox. Right. Because now, this is where Batman gets, gets all his toys. So it gets his expensive toys from. Because all that stuff that Wayne Enterprises has been working on. Mm-hmm. Kind of like cobbles together the bat suit right. out of you know, the bulletproof, mm-hmm. fireproof, shockproof fabric right. that he wears. The cape turns into a glider and all this. Because the, yeah. Yeah, cause it uses a memory metal base. It's a lot of thought that's been put into this movie. It works on that level, and it works on the acting level, which raises the whole material up considerably. As audience, we can't take this seriously unless the actors are taking right. it seriously. We see that Christian Bale and all the other actors, even Katie Holmes, they all are taking this seriously. They're not jerking around here. You know what else is interesting about this film? You look at it, and it's like, this is the first Batman film where the villains, you can almost see their side of things. When Ra's al Ghul, who is not who we think he is... Mm-hmm. Explains it's like this town has gone feral. Once again, we're back to the theme of the feral yeah. city again. Oh, can't save it. This we're town doing the animal. Right. <laughs> we're, we're doing this world a favor by excising this affection from it. And Batman's like, I'm sorry, I can't allow that. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, too, that we've got an Arkham Asylum, but we've got an Arkham Asylum that's right in the middle of yeah. Gotham this time. It's like on this little island, mm-hmm. which to me, I think, is a radical departure. From- yeah, because we always got the impression that in the Burton cycle that Arkham was somewhere over there. That we want it right over there, yeah. away from us. Longer going yeah. far away. But in this one, it's actually inside Gotham City because Cillian Murphy, as you pointed out, he of the scary yeah, eyes, is a doctor who works. You get the impression that's the only reason they hired him. It was yeah. There's the one moment he hasn't yet put on the mask, he hasn't started taking on the persona, but Batman's paying him a visit and he knows he's somewhere and he just starts looking around with those eyes and you're mm. just like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> he's going to say, where is the Batman? Yeah. He does that and you say, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, He is weird. He's yeah. out there. There but, is uh, no difference between him and the people he's treating. One of my favorite scenes is when we find out that Bruce Wayne, he's actually been declared dead mm-hmm. because he's left Gotham City right. and he's left the entire Wayne fortune to Rucker Howe's character right. who, he's got used to running things and Wayne Enterprises is now as corrupt mm-hmm. as the rest of Gotham and Alfred is watching the mansion but he's been declared dead and he's wandering the world gathering this guy. Right. And he's actually become a criminal. I, yeah. He's in a prison. Well, we when first meet him. Yeah. I love the fact though that he's like trying to explain it's like, no, no, you don't know who I am. It's, oh yeah, well you explain it to the person that you stole this from. And he's stealing his own stuff. You know, that's a touch that I really like that trying to get into the psychology of the criminal mind by actually becoming one mm-hmm. himself. Then when he comes back and there's a wonderful scene where he has with Rucker Howard where he reveals that, well, he's taking control back of his company and he's right. done it just like that because hey he's Bruce Wayne right. <laughs> you know even though he's been gone for all these years it's really a nice touch to see that Alfred was in charge of all this money yeah. all this time and really didn't do anything with it because right. he was always sure that he was going to come back and he even tells him that when they're on the right. jet he said well I was declared dead and I would have done as far as Batman movies go where would you rate this 
definitely this is definitely up there. This is definitely one of the upper echelon. How do you stack it against the Burton movies? Maybe on par with two. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. It's easy for a lot of people to go, oh, well, yeah, you know, this is the best one of all. Most people should probably watch this. If they've never seen the Batman movie before, mm. which I doubt, I would actually advise them to watch this one before they watch yeah. the Burton movies. You can actually look at this as a yeah. prequel to the Burton movie. The way that the script is set up, it never indicates that it's a reboot. It never violates anything yeah. that we've seen in the Burton movie. Even that last scene where Gordon says, oh, we found this. And he hands him the car. Yeah. Of course, this gets blown to, to fuck with the new film that mm-hmm. is coming out this month, which is, of course, The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. A lot of the same people are coming back. Yeah. Originally, Nolan had said in interviews before Batman Begins came out that he did not want to use any of the characters that had been used in the, the Burton cycle. He said he those guys had already been done, and he wanted to get people used to the idea of this Batman before, here's the new Joker, here's the new yeah. Riddler. There was talk, in fact, I think the ventriloquist was up. That I would have liked to see, yeah. but then again, Nolan could have made it interesting. Mm-hmm. But when audiences really wanted to sat there and watch a guy that really talks through the dummy, even though me, I like Scarface. Yeah. So it's like Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. But to me, I thought that would have been wonderful. I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers put pressure on Nolan. So yeah. well, listen, everybody knows the Joker. Let's do the Joker. Yeah, do, yeah. Say, listen. We let you do the first one the way you want. Mm-hmm. Now you got to give us something. Which you know? worries me. A lot of the original cast is back. Christian Bale's coming back. Michael Caine's coming back. Gary Oldman's coming back. Morgan Freeman. Cillian Murphy's. I'm willing to bet that it's Dr. Crane that comes up with the Joker Venom. Because I'm trying to figure out why he's here. Interesting face that's joining the cast. Nestor Carbonell is going to be the mayor of Gotham. Nestor Carbonell played Batmanuel. In the Tick Live series, which is, of course, a parody mm. of Batman. Mm. Some of the other new people joining the cast, Aaron Eckhart is playing Harvey Dent. Oh, and which everybody, he's definitely going to be Two-Face. Which buddy. everybody's looking forward to. Everybody's yeah. really looking forward to him playing Two-Face. Maggie Gyllenhaal is replacing old Strokey as Rachel Dawes. Okay. And I give him credit for the fact that they didn't just create a new character. You know how we had the Falcones in the first film? The other major crime family from Gotham is coming in the form of Eric Roberts as a Salvador Moroni. Okay, cool. Because see, you know what I like about uh, the Nolan cycle of films? Yeah. Because what we're getting is that we're getting the Batman of year one and two where we're seeing that the balance of power right. at Gotham is shifting from the old style mafia type of organized crime. These super villains right. like the Joker and the Penguin and becoming the major right. crime boss I think it's mentioned in some of the trailers. There's, there's a line that Heath Ledger has, who's playing the Joker and unfortunately has passed away, mm-hmm. where he says, this town needs a new kind of criminal. A new kind of criminal, right. Though, I gotta tell you, I, the more I see of this, the less I'm enthusiastic I am about this new film. You and me both, and a lot of people, you know, they email me with disbelief. They said, well, what are you talking about? This is going to be fantastic? Well, I don't know. I look at the trailers, and they really don't do a lot for me. I find they have one scene where he goes to the crime board yeah. that, to me, even from the trailer, strike me as too much like the same well, scene see, that's my biggest that Nicholson did in Batman. Ledger sounds like he's just trying to do as close a swipe as he can of the Nicholson performance. Particularly that scene you were talking about, which ends with him going, I'm leaving you my card. I looked at the way he moved and the way he delivered that line. That's mm. definitely a Nicholson delivery. And I look at him, and I don't know. He doesn't look like the Joker. People say, oh, yeah, well, that's the Joker. No, it looks greasy. It looks like he just came off a week-long bender and he just climbed out of the gutter. But he's his, gritty and he's new and he's exciting. No, he's not. No, he's not. Maybe. Much more interesting is what it looks like they're doing with Eckhart. Yeah, thank you. They've made it very clear 
in the most recent trailer that Eckhart is going to be Two-Face. That's what I'm looking forward to. Just strangely enough, and no disrespect to the dead, because I have as much respect for yes. Heath Ledger as anybody else, his performance, from what I've seen in the trailers, really doesn't do much for me. I'm willing to wait till I go see the movie yeah. before Final Judgment, but I'm much more excited about what it looks like they're going to be doing with Aaron right. Eckhart. But that's just me, folks. I have no idea where this is going, but I, I just like I just have a bad feeling about this. When I saw the trailers for Batman Begins, I had a rush of adrenaline. Yeah. I see the trailers for The Dark Knight, and I just go, meh. You also can tell that there is a l- nowhere near as bad as it used to be at the end of the Burton cycle, but there is definitely a kind of like marketing thing, because you've got that, like, the bat motorcycle. The bat odd, yeah. Yeah, the bats, all this other stuff. Apparently we get a new bat costume. Of course. You know, everyone is tweaked a little bit. This one looks pretty cool, though. Once again, I'm looking at the cast list. There's a character played by uh, Monique Kernan called Detective Ramirez, which, to me, I'm looking at this guy. Okay, Latino Gotham cop. Who does that say? Detective Montoya. Rene Montoya. Rene Montoya. I wonder why uh, they didn't go that route. Shot mainly in England, apparently. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think most of them were shot in England. Well, a large portion of, one one of Batman Begins was shot in Chicago. Our good friend Michael Sims and his common-law wife, Jenny, talk about shooting over there. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan has said that he, he didn't want to do it on sets. He, he wanted this Gotham because it goes in with what you were saying before, the whole real-world grounding mm-hmm. that they wanted this Batman cycle of films to be set in. So it's being shot in a real city as much right. as possible. And so I've got no problem with that. So to like sum up, a lot of stuff we covered. This is the longest episode we've done to date. What do you think that people should watch? What do you think people should avoid? I think they should watch Batman. The, the, the 66 or the, okay, the, the Burton? Oh yeah, 66. Watch it. I don't care what anybody says. It's a charming movie. You approach it in the right way. It's a lot of fun. Definitely if you have kids and you're a comic book fan and you want to turn your kids on the comic book, sit down with them and watch Tim Burton. Batman, right. yeah, definitely. Batman Returns, mm-hmm. definitely watch that one. Uh, Batman Forever, eh, I'm on the fence. You can watch it, but I don't say it's essential for yeah. you. I, don't say uh, it's I definitely essential don't movie. watch Batman and Robin. No, definitely don't I watch, definitely Batman, watch Batman Begins. Yeah, Batman the Animated Series. Yes. yes. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Batman Mask of the Phantasm, mm-hmm. definitely see that one. Batman Beyond. Turn of the Joker and the animated series, which I know they're all available right. on DVD. Yes, definitely. And there's an episode of Justice League called Epilogue, which links the Batman the Animated Series with the Batman Beyond. I know what it is, you know what it yeah. is. But we're not going to tell we're you We're not going to tell you, but... But yeah. it's a good episode. But yeah, it's an exceptional episode. And yeah. you should watch it. Because when I saw it... And my jaw doesn't usually do this yeah. because I can see what, but my jaw dropped open. Mm-hmm. It, it was a, oh shit. Because I literally did not, but it made sense. You know anything about Bruce Wayne, then you know the guy. And about Amanda Waller. <laughs> yeah, you know the guy plans ahead. Yeah. But I did not know he planned that far ahead. Yeah. yeah. I think we deserve a break after this, but first we need to do the administrative. Yeah, we got to do the administrative stuff first. Okay, folks, if you want to send your love, your hate, your indifference, whatever emotion you wish to send to us, you can do it by sending us an email to our Gmail account, which is betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. You could also leave a comment on our Potomatic page, which is betterinthedark.potomatic.com. It's going to take more time for us to find the damn thing, but we will find it. And also, you could join our Yahoo mailing group, which is at movies.yahoo.com backslash groups backslash betterinthedark. 
That was some trip, wasn't it? Yes, it was, but it was a lot of fun. It's always interesting going back and re-examining these movies with a fresh mm-hmm. light, especially these movies, some of them which I hadn't watched in a while. Yeah. Because for this show, folks, what we do is that we go back and re-watch these movies. And I hadn't seen Batman, Batman Returns, and right. Mask of the Phantasm in a long time. It was fun seeing them again, so I'm glad that we did this. Despite what we may have said about some people, we do enjoy all these movies on one level or another, even if... They're not all that good. <laughs> yeah. Listen, they're only movies. You know, okay. take what we say with a grain of salt. If you are inclined to see anything that we've disparaged, by all means, go oh, ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead. You have every right to watch Batman and Robin. Just remember, it's not our fault if you don't like it. <laughs> and I guess the next time we do this particular neck of the woods is when Superman sequel comes out, whenever mm-hmm. that will be. But even if we don't, I guess eventually we'll get around to doing uh Superman, because you know the original yeah. Superman, the movie. That's like one of your me, favorite films. Oh, all time. man, forget about it. Until Iron Man, that was my superhero favorite superhero movie. movie. Yeah. Until next time, then. Until next time. It's good night from me, and it's good night from him. And uh, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, whatever you do, go, go see that movie. movie. Good night. God bless. Look, Bruce, it's the bat signal. Yes. Are you ready, Robin? Yes, Batman. You've been listening to Better in the Dark Featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson Special thanks go out to John and Michael Of World's Finest Podcast The Hollywood Saloon The Circle of Jerks And the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group At movies.groups.yahoo.com Backslash group Backslash Better in the Dark Better in the Dark would go on at greater lengths About Batman the Animated Series But there's nothing we could say World's Finest Podcast hasn't said better Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Set all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter, and the dark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, try to avoid any cities whose insane asylums are named after Lovecraftian places. I'm sorry, your answer must be in the form of a question. Thank you for playing.